AI's replacement of 300 million jobs worldwide, human intelligence versus artificial intelligence, and the future of supply chain management. Those are just a few things we'll cover here today on episode number 121 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. This is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including strategy, people, process, and technology. And my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And excited for our episode here today. We're going to cover a lot of great uh, and interesting topics. We're going to start off with some questions from the audience. Uh, social media in particular, where we've received, we receive many questions on a daily basis, and we've cherry-picked a few of those to cover here today. So we're going to get into some Q&A from the audience here to start, and then uh, also in our opening segment, we'll cover some hot topics, including the fact that AI, according to a new study, uh, could replace up to 300 million jobs worldwide. Um, so we'll talk about that article and what some of the trends or the predictions are for the future of artificial intelligence and the impact on the workforce we're also going to talk about supply chain maturity um, and how important it is to understand your current level of supply chain maturity and sustainability in your supply chain management efforts. And then we're also going to talk about wedding technology. Um, so for those of you that are interested in the personal use of technology, in particular uh, wedding technology, we're going to talk a little bit about that here in the opening segment as well. And then later in the show, we will have our first guest, Anoush Bayat, who's going to be on and chatting with me about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So we're going to sort of talk about the human aspect of digital transformation, and in particular, um, how the intersection or the combination of human intelligence and artificial intelligence will be so important uh, going forward in the future. And then finally, later in the show, we'll have Dr. Mudasir Ahmed joining us for a discussion around the future of supply chain management. So we're going to uh, play you a clip from an interview that we actually did on this podcast with Dr. Ahmed uh, last year. Um, so we're going to replay that clip because it's a very good and timely topic as it relates to supply chain management. But before we get to those discussions and those specific topics, uh, we'll cover a, a few questions from the audience here. And for those of you that don't know, every week on this show, we have a segment now where we open up with, with questions that we've received on social media. So if you follow me on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, or if you're li listening to the audio podcast platform on one of the audio platforms, um, you can drop questions for uh, for me in the chat, and we'll, we'll get to those questions here in, in this podcast every week. So the first uh, topic we wanted to cover here is... Uh, a question that was from, I believe, my YouTube channel, where I talk about the um, difficult or the difference between standard versus customized software. And so, if if you haven't seen it, there's a YouTube video I post on my YouTube channel where I it's about a 10 minute video, and I just talk about the pros and cons of standard off the shelf software and the pros and cons of customizing standard off the shelf software. 
and really helping organizations better navigate that decision process of trying to figure out when and where or if we should customize our, our uh, standard software. And this question was related to that video or, or appeared on that video. And the comment is, upgrades and decommissioning are required in ERP environments. The system will be easy to upgrade with standard software. It is very difficult to do with a custom solution. And that's a great point. And it is something that I talk about um, in the video is that when you do customization, so let me just back up and explain what customization means if you're not aware. When you deploy any sort of standard off-the-shelf technology, you have to configure it, right? You have to set it up, you have to personalize it, you make decisions, you click buttons around how a workflow is gonna work, what fields you need to enter, uh, how the data flows through the system, a lot of setup and configuration that needs to happen to make off-the-shelf, out-of-the-box software work. However, you also have another option with many of the software providers where you can use their tool set to actually customize the software. And customization is really a more invasive version of configuration. You're, you're doing more than just the basic setup of the software. When you're getting into customization, now you're getting into actually changing the code of the software and essentially changing the software to do something that it wasn't designed or intended to do. So when you do that, it does a couple things. When you customize software, it does a couple things. It, first of all, it delays a project or it, it adds more time and money to the project. It adds more risk to the project because now you're running the risk of essentially breaking the software or trying to get it to do something that it wasn't built to do. And then you also have um, the issues of difficulty surviving upgrades or getting upgrades to the software. So when you do make changes and you customize the software, if there's a new version of the software that comes out, oftentimes that customization won't survive that upgrade and you have to rewrite that customization or figure out how you're gonna navigate that. So that's what this person is referring to, I presume, is that latter piece of it, which is um, difficult to maintain a custom solution. And that is absolutely true. And on, on the surface, it sounds like, well, then why would you customize? Why in the world would you ever consider customizing if it's gonna create all these risks that I just described. Well, the problem is, especially with ERP systems, ERP systems are trying to be everything to everyone within an organization. It's one system that's trying to tie together an entire set of operations workflows. Great concept in theory, but a lot easier said than done. What ends up happening is no ERP system is gonna be a perfect fit for every organization out there. And typically every organization is gonna have a mix of decisions they have to make or a mix of uh, decisions that they make to address the deficiencies or the mismatches between what the software can do and what they want the software to do. One option is you change your business processes. You change your processes, you're in people to fit the software. That's one way to navigate it and say, we're just not going to customize. We're going to change our processes, change our people. And that's going to be how we, we address this. Nothing wrong with that. that. That works in many cases, but there's going to be other cases where it's just not realistic to do that. There's going to be situations where you're missing or you're watering down some sort of competitive advantage that you have as an organization and you have a need to customize the software potentially. And so that becomes the, the million dollar question is, is it worth it for us to do that? Is it worth taking on the risk that this person describes? And, and that's uh, a tough decision that every organization has to make. But there's also risk to not customizing. When you don't customize the software, you run the risk of the software. Yes, it works. It's more simple you've mitigated that risk of customization, but now you've just shifted the risk over to the business operations. And if the business operations can't function or can't function well with software as it's designed off the shelf, out of the box, then that creates a whole nother set of risks and problems. And for many organizations, 
in some cases, they find that that risk is greater than the risk of customization. So that's really the sort of the ROI analysis you have to do and you have to objectively look at, you know, what what are the trade-offs there for my organization? And you probably come up with different answers for different parts of your business. There might be some parts of your business where you say, you know what, we can live with the software the way it is. Let's force our people and processes to change to fit the software. But then there's going to be other cases where, you know, we can't live with that. That's our competitive advantage. That's our secret sauce. That's our differentiator in the marketplace. So therefore, we are going to customize the software in the name of preserving and building on and enhancing that competitive advantage. So that's a way to think about it. It's a, it's a lot easier said than done, but that's the, the, the million dollar question is how do you know when you need to customize? And if you go to my YouTube channel, by the way, just search uh, customization on, on my YouTube channel, you'll find that video. It's a video that was just published in the last 30 days, I believe. Um, so you can find that there. So another uh, a question I want to get to that uh, is very relevant to today's episode, because we are going to talk about uh, in our hot topic segment in just a moment, we're going to talk about regenerative AI, such as ChatGPT, and the impact it's going to have on the industry and the potential displacement of hundreds of millions of jobs worldwide. We're going to come back to that in the hot topics. But this question um, is a question that uh, we received in our social media channels. And the question is, please, could you share more about the impact of ChatGPT on the digital transformation consulting industry, specifically SAP S4HANA professional and change management consulting? So I'll, I'll just address it more broadly. Uh, it, this is not relevant just to SAP uh, consulting or even just change management. I'm going to talk about it from the perspective of um, just technology and digital transformation in general. And I think these comments are relevant to certainly SAP S4HANA deployments as well as any other sort of ERP or software digital transformation uh, deployment. And uh, to really uh, unpack this a bit, uh, what I'd say here is that I think absolutely ChatGPT is going to impact the digital transformation consulting industry. I think what it's going to do is is impact in two different ways that I see. And one one way we're seeing it impact our business here at Third Stage Consulting. The other way I think is more likely to impact uh, larger uh, larger consulting firms and system integrators. But the one that I think will will I'll start with maybe the ne- the more negative or maybe the more dark side of it first, and that is the impact that ChatGPT will likely have on entry level consultants. I think entry-level consultants are probably going to be the ones that are more impacted by ChatGPT in a negative way. And I think it, it could potentially create less opportunity for entry-level consultants or college graduates to break into the consulting space because so much of the model of the big consulting firms is dependent on these young kids coming out of school and then doing a lot of the, I'll call it the consulting grunt work. You know, they're creating PowerPoint slides. They're they're doing analysis and writing and, and uh, a lot of PowerPoint jockeying, I guess I'd say. It's, it's a lot of, there's, there's kids out of college that just spend their entire days and weeks at a time just creating PowerPoint slides and putting together visuals of, you know, whatever project they're working on. Um, in other cases, they're documenting stuff or, you know, a lot, of, a lot of grunt work, I'd call it. And that's really where AI is a threat and disruption is it, it displaces that need for grunt work. Um, you know, now you can use different AI tools to create a PowerPoint slide. You can give it some bullets or give it some ideas you want to have visualized, and you can have regenerative AI create that. And that's really something that Microsoft is pushing heavily into with their their Copilot and some of the other AI tools they're investing in, and other providers are going to continue investing in that as well. So I think you're just going to see more displacement of lower-end consulting. However, I think it also... Um, it could have a positive effect on consulting, especially for more senior, more experienced people where, A, 
um, those more senior and experienced people can use AI to really scale and leverage their knowledge and and make them smarter, essentially, like combining their own human knowledge with the artificial intelligence knowledge. And in fact, that's a thread we're going to come back to later in this episode with our guest, uh, Noosh Bayat from Third Stage Consulting. Um, she's going to be on talking about AI versus artificial intelligence versus human intelligence and how those two things intersect, how they collide, what the risks are, what the opportunities are. So we're going to come back to that. So stick around later in the episode. We'll dive into that in more detail. But those are a couple of things to think about. I think that's, you know, on one hand, it's going, to, it's going to potentially displace the entry-level jobs. I think it might displace a lot of the offshoring that the big system integrators and the big consulting firms do. So when you get into, um, speaking of SAP, uh, SAP S4HANA development, for example, there's some pretty complex development that goes into a lot of, if not most, SAP S4HANA deployments. And a lot of that gets offshored to India and other, other countries that have lower labor costs than other parts of the world. And I think those jobs are at risk as well, because now you have ChatGPT and other tools that can help you um, create that development. They can do that development for you, or at least get you started on that and, and take some of the grunt work out of uh, that development process. So that's that's another way um, I see ChatGPT affecting uh, the consulting industry. Uh, I'll be curious to see if uh, organizations themselves think that they can use ChatGPT to you know, automate some of the work that they would typically hire consultants for. There might be some of that as well um, that I suspect uh, that we'll start to see. But um, but I think it, you know, when used correctly, ChatGPT, regenerative AI can be a very powerful tool. Um, I use it pretty constantly. In fact, I, I started using it recently, for example, just to give me better ideas for video titles. I mean, I struggle sometimes just to what to name a video. I know what I want to cover. I know the topic. But I don't really know what to name it to make it sound appealing and, and that sort of thing. And ChatGPT has been awesome for that. It gives me so many options and I can usually come up with some good titles and thumbnails for my videos and things like that using ChatGPT. So that's an example where I don't know that that's really, that's not really hurting anyone's job. Um, that's not, I'm not eliminating anyone's job or doing someone's job for them other than maybe my own. I'm just doing my job better because of ChatGPT. So I think there's going to be a lot of that you'll see. Uh, in consulting as well. In fact, ChatGPT also helped me name my book title. Um, I was really struggling with a book that I'm launching here in a couple months, the summer of 2023. Um, I didn't know what to call it. And I really struggled with the titling of it. We had some pretty good names, but I just nothing was really clicking. And I just went to ChatGPT and within three minutes, I think it was, maybe five minutes, I was just brainstorming with ChatGPT and giving it feedback. And it came up with a title that I ultimately landed on. So um, so I think there's just some power in it too. And I and again, stick around for the uh, segment. In a few minutes, we're going to have Noosh Bayat to dive into that a little bit more, sort of that intersection and that collision potentially between human intelligence and artificial intelligence. So great questions. Thank you to the audience for uh, providing those, those questions. And again, if you have questions you want to cover or see us cover on this uh, podcast, you can drop them in any of either my uh, third state, either my YouTube or LinkedIn or Twitter accounts. Um, you can comment on any of my videos and we're constantly watching that and pulling questions from that. Or you can go to any of the third stage consulting uh, social media channels. Any questions you post there are fair game as well. So uh, feel free to chime in. We'd love to get your get your feedback. But I, I also am interested from the audience though, You know, drop in the chat wherever you're watching here today. I'd love to hear what you think. What do you think the impact of regenerative AI, ChatGPT, what do you think the impact is gonna be? Positive or negative? What are some of the specific things you think will will happen as a result. I don't think any of us really know. Um, I know I have my speculation and my predictions, but 
who knows if I'm right or not. We'll find out over time, but I'd love to hear your feedback. Maybe some of you have some, some uh, good ideas on what you think will happen here uh, with AI and how it will affect our lives and our world. So anyway, the great questions. Thank you for asking that. I'm curious to hear your feedback too uh, on, on that topic uh, in the comments below. So please drop that in the chat. Love to hear from you. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to come back with some of our hot topics. We're going to talk about AI and how AI could displace up to 300 million jobs. So we'll sort of continue with that thread and unpack that a bit more from a recent Goldman Sachs study that was just recently published. We'll talk about uh, supply chain management maturity models and how that can help you with your supply chain transformation journeys. And we'll also talk about wedding technology. So we'll, we'll cover that here in just a moment in our hot topic segment. And then later in the show, we will have uh, Noosh Bayat, who is a director of strategy and transformation here at Third Stage Consulting in the U.S. Um, she will talk with me about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So really people versus technology, man versus machine, the whole collision and the coexisting and the potential conflict, all the good, the bad, the ugly between humans and technology and, and sort of diving into that in a bit more. And Nusha is a really interesting guest because uh, she not only is a, just a great guest and very smart person, she's got a PhD. Um, she studied change management pretty deeply. She's practiced change management for decades now, so she'll be a great guest to have on the show, a first-time guest for us. And then we'll also have, uh, later in the show, Dr. Mudasir Ahmed is going to be on talking about the future of supply chain management, so be sure to stick around for that. So we'll be back with some of those hot topics, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. My name is Eric Kimberling. CEO and founder of Third Stage Consulting. Thank you for joining here today. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. So be sure to subscribe to the channel, uh, subscribe to the podcast, watch and listen wherever you prefer to listen or watch podcasts, and you can find us there. And certainly uh, share this with uh, colleagues and peers that you think might be interested. We'd love to get the word out to more people. So appreciate in advance uh, you sharing this content with anyone you think might benefit from it. Um, some hot topics we want to cover today, some really interesting uh, threads that my co-host Kyler, who cannot be here with us today uh, due to her holiday, uh, a family holiday she has, um, she, she was able to provide some interesting articles for us to cover here today. And the first one I want to cover, um, partly because, and I think she chose this, because I recently, just last week, celebrated my 10-year anniversary with my wife. Um, so we've been married 10 years now. Um, we coincidentally or uh, Interestingly enough, also just celebrated our five-year anniversary at Third Stage, and I'm about to turn 50 years old. So I, this is a pretty big year for me personally, five-year anniversary, Third Stage, 10-year 
uh, anniversary of being married and I'm about to turn 50. So a lot going on here in 2023, a lot to remind me that I'm getting older too, which is a whole other story uh, that I'll save for my therapist or another episode or whatever. Um, but we'll, we'll, uh, uh, the reason that that is relevant, the reason I bring that up is because one of the interesting articles that Kyler found for us here today is this article that talks about wedding tech. So wedding technology and how people are using technology in different ways um, on the romantic side of their personal lives, I guess you'd say. So th this article that she pulled for us is an article that talks about a product that's called, it's called Ring. I think it's just called, if I, if I remember correctly, it's just called Ring or it might have a model name, but basically it's a, it's a wedding band. So, you know, I'm wearing a wedding band right here, just a plain old traditional wedding band, but this wedding band is technologically based and it measures your heartbeat. So it, you can, I don't know why you'd want to do this. This isn't my thing, but some of you listening might like this, but it, it tracks your heart rate and, and your heart and your, your pulse basically. So at any time you can go on an app on your phone and you can see what your heart, your pulse looks like compared to your, your spouse's. Um, again, I'm not sure why you do that or if that's just a way to feel more connected. Maybe I'm, I'm not a, uh, a romantic at heart to, enough to appreciate or understand that technology, but it is a technology that's out there um, with a, that sort of the wearable device segment of the consumer technology space. And what's interesting is this article goes on to talk about how wedding technology and this sort of not just these rings, these, these uh, technology-based rings, but also other types of wedding technology that whole segment is expected to rise by 21% a year. So uh, just interesting uh, use case about how um, that technology is being used. And by the way, the, the product is called HB Ring. Um, so HB Ring, it's a, it's a wedding band, a, a pair of wedding bands that is a connected wearable device that you can share um, heart, your heart rate with, with your spouse. Um, again, if that's your sort of thing, if you want to share your heartbeat, uh, I guess that's kind of cool. I feel like the novelty might wear off pretty quickly, but who knows? Maybe there's people that are really into that. Um, so that's that's an interesting uh, thing. And that company, by the way, is based out of Europe, uh, the company that makes the HB uh, ring. Um, and then the article also goes on to talk about how much social media is being used more and more for, um, for wedding planning and for uh, just tracking wedding activities and that sort of thing. And then it also talks about, this is pretty funny. I don't know why I found this so funny. But there's also um, a, a technology called the Wedding Writer's Block Assistant. It's based on ChatGPT, and it's based on the OpenAI model, but it's a way to allow people to write their wedding nuptials, basically. So people are now using ChatGPT to write wedding nuptials, apparently. Um, I'm glad this wasn't around when I got married, to be honest, because I probably would have done it, and I don't know that my wife would have appreciated it uh, as much as the, uh, techno, the, the techno types in the audience might um, so anyway, that's that's another interesting uh, use case, I suppose, with 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 uh, technology in the wedding field. So, just when you think you can't get away from technology or wedding or or technology isn't changing enough, you find a case study or a use case like this where it's being used in some some unusual niches in our personal lives. Technology is is very pervasive in that way, um, in, in many different ways as well. So shifting gears a bit, though, and, and speaking of technology, and maybe a less positive. Uh, take on technological impacts to our lives. There was a recent report that Goldman Sachs published, and I think they published it in the uh, in, out of Europe, their European office. Not that it really matters where they published it, but they uh, their European office published this report that said 
uh, a quarter of tasks in the U.S. and Europe could be uh, eliminated in the U.S. and Europe. So across the U.S. and Europe, I'm not sure why they just focused on the U.S. and Europe, but that's where they focused. They said that they expect that a quarter of work tasks could be eliminated as a result of open AI and regenerative AI. And that equates, by the way, to 300 million full-time jobs across the U.S. and Europe. They also say, however, that it could eventually increase the total annual value of goods and services produced globally by 7%. So it's sort of a good news, bad news situation. It's talking about displacement of workers, but it's also talking about productivity and the total value of goods and services that gets produced. So we'll be producing more with less people, presumably, is, is sort of the takeaway here. Um, but it, it does go on to talk about how big of a deal generative AI is and how big of an impact that's going to have on, on the workforce uh, going forward. Uh, it also talks about how the impact is not equal across different industries. So it talks about how 46% of admin and 44% of legal type professions could be automated, but only 6% of construction jobs and 4% maintenance jobs could be eliminated as a result of AI. So um, I guess that's the good news of the silver lining is not all industries are affected, but for people like myself and others listening that are in white collar uh, sorts of administrative or, or just office types of jobs, those are the jobs that are most at risk. And so what that does to our society is a whole nother, whole nother story. And I imagine there's social scientists and sociologists out there studying this as we speak and trying to understand what the impact is and will be. But, you know, what's really interesting, too, is this article also goes on to talk about sort of the history of technology and how the history of workforce and workplace displacement has happened and evolved over the years. So, it, for example, the research points out that 60% of workers today are in occupations that did not exist in 1940. So in the last 80 years, the 60% of the jobs that are out there now are new since then. And it also talks about how um, technological change since the 1980s has displaced workers faster than it has created jobs. So yes, 60% of workers are in occupations that did not exist in 1940. That's the good news. These are new jobs. But more jobs have been eliminated since the 1980s. Um, and that was really, you know, 1980s was really when technology started to take off. And it's only accelerated since then, especially here in the 2020s. It's, it's accelerating very rapidly. So interesting data points. I'd be curious to hear from the audience here. What do you think the impact of AI, generative AI in particular, will be on workforces throughout the world? And how will that affect us as a society or as a, as a world or as a human race? Uh, I find that a, to be a fascinating topic. And I'd love to hear, hear all of your feedback on that, on that uh, in your in the comments, if you don't mind. And then finally, supply chain maturity. Um, that's a, a, a topic that is covered in supplychaindigital.com, a recent article that was published on that website, which is a good website, a good source for supply chain related technological advances and whatnot. Uh, this, this article talks about how self-awareness is, is so important for supply chain management and that in order to begin a supply chain management journey or a supply chain transformation journey, you really need to have a good understanding of what your current maturity level is. And I think this is a great point. Very, It's a very simple, basic topic, sort of a no-brainer, but it's, it's, it's really worth talking about because a lot of organizations don't do that. They want to just focus on that future state and just jump ahead to where they're going and defining that future state. Let's throw out this, you know, this old, outdated way of doing business that we're doing today. Let's put in new technology, new processes going forward. 
nothing wrong with that, I suppose. I mean, you do need to do that. You do need to define what your, um, you know, what your future state is and where you're going. You certainly don't want to overanalyze or spend too much time dwelling on how you do things today if you know it's going to change. But you do need to understand where you're starting from. And that's that grounding is so important, um, not just for supply chain management, for, for any sort of digital transformation. You really need to have that clear understanding of where you are today and where you're starting from and then ultimately where you're going. And you need to have both. You need to have that good understanding of your current state business processes, what you're doing well, what are those processes that you want to preserve and maybe build on, what are those processes that are broken and inefficient, and what are those processes that could potentially deliver the most value if you could deploy technology, new process changes, new organizational changes to support that. And so doing both is really important. And so that sort of uh, assessment of your current capabilities and your current maturity in your supply chain, in your overall operations, in your organization, uh, from a change management perspective, even your, your PMO, you know, what, what kind of project management or program management capabilities do you have? What kind of technological capabilities do you have now and where are you starting from? And then ultimately, what's the gap between that and what you want it to be in the future? And that ultimately, if you think about it, that understanding of current state, future state, and the gap between it and the chasm between it, that ultimately drives and dictates how long your transformation is going to take, what your timeline is going to be, what your budget's going to be, what the risk profile looks like, what kind of potential business value you could get out of it. You need to know that gap and understand that gap very clearly in, in a thorough way to be able to adequately um, or accurately estimate your overall transformation time, cost, duration, as well as the business value that you could expect to get out of the system and understand the risk profile of the transformation. So great stuff, a great article that, that uncovers that important topic and uh, really dives into that importance of self-awareness when it comes to supply chain management, but I, I would argue that it also has a lot to do with self-awareness of digital transformations in general. You need to have that same self-awareness as well. So good stuff, really, uh, really interesting topic there. And uh, we're gonna, going to uh, shift gears now and bring on our first guest here after a quick break. We're going to have Noosh Bayat on the show, who's a, a PhD, by the way. I think uh, actually both guests today, interesting and coincidentally enough, both guests we have on the show later today are PhD, so I am outgunned here academically and intelligence-wise. I think the IQs of both guests are much higher than myself and uh, probably most people uh, in the world. Uh, so a lot of brain power coming up on this episode. We're going to have uh, Noosh Bayat, who is a director of strategy and transformation here at Third Stage Consulting in the U U.S. office where I'm based. Um, she'll be on talking about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence, sort of that man versus machine debate. And we'll, we'll dive into that topic. And then later in the show, we'll have Dr. Mudasir Ahmed on the show to talk about the future of supply chain management. So be sure to stick around for that as well. So we'll have Noosh on the show to talk about human intelligence versus AI in just a moment. First, uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, Turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. 
Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control episode number 121. My name is Eric Kimberling, CEO of Third Stage Consulting. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, uh, streaming to YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and also going live on audio podcast platforms throughout the world every Wednesday, uh, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Pandora, etc. So wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever you watch podcasts, be sure to check us out there every Wednesday with new episodes. And our next guest, I'm excited for, first-time guest, Relatively new to third stage, although I've known her for quite some time. Um, in recent, and actually, quite frankly, I've been trying to hire her for a long time. It's been over a year that we tried to uh, hire her, and finally, uh, the timing worked out recently, earlier here in 2023. And she's she's new to our team, not new to us, but new to our team. Certainly not new to the industry either. She's been doing this for a long time. Her name is Noosh Bayat, Director of Strategy and Transformation here at Third Stage Consulting in the U.S. office where I'm based. And we thought it'd be great to have her on the show to talk about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So, Noosh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Eric. <laughs> excited excited to have you here. I know you and I have known each other for a long time. Um, we go back a ways just in the industry, but you have recently joined the Third Stage team and uh, love having you on the team. And um, this was one of the first things you and I discussed once you joined the company was this whole concept of uh, the human side of change as well as the technology side of change. And then more specifically, as we were brainstorming ideas for uh, this discussion, uh, we really landed on this thread of artificial intelligence versus human intelligence and how the two compare, why they're both important, how they might uh, conflict with one another, and what organizations might do to navigate that, that, uh, that tension. But before we really dive into the, the heart of the conversation, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, Noosh, as far as... Uh, your academic and your professional background, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, before I start, you said that um, people would be uh, typing in where they're joining us from. Um, uh, I, I haven't seen anything on my screen, but I'm looking forward to seeing who's on the call and where they're joining us from. Uh, yeah, so I started my education and career in computer science, and um, I remember one of my first jobs was to, uh, I was a computer analyst at a local hospital, <clears throat> and my job was to move their, transfer their, their data from the mainframe computer that they had over to a PC network environment. And that was kind of the beginning of me getting really curious about human intelligence. I, I didn't um, uh, use that term at the time, but I remember, I remember, oh, there's all these errors that are popping up on my, Oh, on my we, screen we see and hear you fine it might be the feed that, that okay <laughs> don't worry we see and hear you <laughs> uh, i guess more and more because the the hospital was supporting the community so much you know they were providing um free immunization vans in um uh, in tough neighborhoods they were they were doing a lot of amazing community-based health work and I was in the background making sure that their computer systems were supporting, um, they had the data and the computer systems were supporting their outreach. But more and more I was noticing that 
there's some people who who just walked around with a twinkle in their eyes. Like it didn't matter how much money they had or didn't have, or it didn't matter what kind of life circumstances they had. There was just this the sense of joy and effervescence. And then I was I would also notice that there were people with all the uh, financial means in the world, but there was just a pain in their in their eyes and in their um, encounters with me. And I was just so drawn to both both ends of the spectrum because uh, at the time there was just a lot of global upheavals going on, political upheavals. Um, in the region of the world I was from. And as a young person, um, my heart was broken because there were just a lot of impacts on my personal life, uh, a lot of losses. And so when I would look at someone that had that kind of sense of hopelessness and sadness in their eyes, I would empathize. Like I, I, get, I got it. Um, and I felt like I was in that camp. But then when I would notice other people where they had all the hardships going on, but there was just a bounce in their steps, there was a deep engagement that I just couldn't, um, couldn't articulate. So uh, much to my dad's dismay, instead of pursuing my studies and graduate studies in technology and computer science, I went the route of studying human wellness or, um, or population health, population wellness. I got a master's in public health. Uh, along the way, I got a master's in spiritual psychology, uh, meditation and mindfulness, um, literature. Um, so I was just really, really just so drawn for years about, you know, what is it that makes humans want to engage? And of course, most re recently, I got a doctorate in organizational leadership. And what I found out or learned about neuroscience uh, really brought everything together for me, Eric. And, um, and it really helped me to see why in the past, in my career trajectory, how sometimes I was not a good employee, like in, uh, despite all the perks and benefits that my company would provide, I just couldn't get engaged to the level that I was required to. Um, and then in other situations, you couldn't shut me up. Like I would just over-engage and I was asked to dial it back. So uh, again, all of this, uh, all my studies really helped me to to really understand what is it that's going on within us that makes us want to engage or with life's challenges and ups and downs. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you, you have a, you have a background <clears throat> and upbringing that, that was perfect for this topic today. Here's so I really appreciate uh, having you, having you on the, on the show here. And, and uh, you're one of uh, two people that I know of on the third stage staff staff that has a, a PhD. So that's uh, interesting as well. So you've, you've gone deep into the academics of this uh, piece of it as well. So you've got technically it's an EDD, but uh, so I just call it a doctorate uh, just to be right. precise. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, either way, you're, you're more educated than I am. So perfect, <laughs> perfect for this, perfect for this thread here today. So, so I guess to start then what, what exactly is for the, for the layperson then, someone who doesn't have a deep change management background or hasn't gone <clears throat> into the human side of change, how is it you would define human intelligence, 
and or emotional intelligence and are they different are they the same thing maybe we can start there with just sort of that basic understanding of what the term means absolutely i mean the field of neuroscience um and psychology these days, it's so exciting. I think like every month there's a expansion of our understanding of human intelligence, what it means to be this human interacting with the world. Um, of course, from a, ju just when you reflect on the ability of your body to, um, to breathe and your heart beating and your just all the things that your body is doing without you even being aware of it. So there's that intelligence that we're always aware of, so many of us. Um, the way that, as a basic starting point, human intelligence was categorized into a few components, cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, music intelligence, spatial intelligence, all these sorts of things. And it used to be that um, I think even like up to maybe 30 years ago that IQ was it. Like your intelligence as a human was was equated to your score on an IQ test. But more and more, um, that singular focus on this kind of cognitive intelligence um, was, was just challenged by so many other types of intelligence, like I said, and, he, and emotional intelligence was identified as this um, ability, or it's called EQ versus IQ, this ability of us as humans to be able to not only understand and acknowledge and self-regulate our own internal emotional landscape, but also be able to cue in on other people's or in a social setting, kind of understand what is the, um, what, what's everybody feeling? Just to be able to um, understand how to intuitively relate to them. So this ability to be able to build relationships, have empathy, um, be able to take a te technological challenge, but be able to actually talk about it with somebody. Um, that That's kind of a um, brief summary of what I call emotional or um, human intelligence. Just our, all these capabilities that enable us to interact with the world and solve problems. I think in its most general, I think that's human intelligence for me. Right. We're here with Noosh Bayat from Third Stage Consulting talking about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Be 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where we stream the new episodes every Wednesday. You can also find new episodes every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, including Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, etc. So wherever you listen or watch, check us out there. We're here in the middle of a conversation with Noosh Bayat talking about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So let's jump back into the conversation. Why do you think that this is so important, this whole concept of human intelligence? Why is that so important in today's day and age of advanced technologies and uh, artificial intelligence and all this great stuff that could potentially, in theory, uh, replace or mimic human intelligence? What, what makes, why is human intelligence so important or is it important? I guess we could start there. Absolutely. I think it's so critical because from what I understand about our brains, our brains, there's a huge component of our brain that um, supports us in predicting the future. So there's a, um, for us to feel at ease, it's when our brain is able to predict what's going to happen. You know, we wake up and we know that there's coffee in the kitchen that I'm going to go open my computer and it's going to work well. So there's this predictive capability of our, uh, of our brain that allows us to, to feel comfortable um, surviving and interacting with the world. What, what's, what happens with technology and technological innovation, especially when you bring it within an organization, is that all of a sudden it's not a cognitively stable environment. And with that, I mean, it's very complex. And what that means is that there's no linear causality. There's no way for our brain to fully wrap its hands around this technological innovation. Um, one of the words that I learned when I was in grad school was VUCA, V-U-C-A, which um, was coined by uh, the, the American, uh, our military, once the Cold War was over and we no longer had a singular enemy to focus on. And they said, now our enemy is VUCA, which means conditions that are volatile, unpredictable, complex, and ambiguous. So this, this, uh, this kind of conditions, which, were, which is uh, uh, our daily realities these days, being able to, you know, we go into a client setting and they bring us a challenge, but there is no singular answer that's going to fix every challenge that they're going to bring up. The level of complexity and the level of intervening factors and unpredictability, even in their organizational setting and culture, it's so much that um, because our brain can't just say, yep, the problem is X, the solution is Y, and our approach is Z. End of conversation. Because we can't do that in, in today's uh, environment of tech, technology and innovation and organizational complexity, what happens is that our brain literally sounds an alarm and feels threatened. So when it can't find that linear causation and find that that the cause of instability, it, it raises this alarm. So our fight or flight 
stress response gets activated. And so often um, people that their cope, their defense mechanisms um, come up, they get guarded, they get stressed, their stress hormones come up. So, um, so that's why um, in these situations, especially in these times of complexity, technical skills aren't going to help us. Because technical skills is when you go into a training environment and they tell you, if you press this, this is going to happen. If you do this, this is going to happen. But in times of complexity, because there is no clear pathway to our solution, and we have all this crazy stress response going on within us, this kind of emotional turmoil, uh, for lack of a better word, What's really required are adaptive skills, skills where you can actually be able to show up to a meeting where everybody's frustrated and they want you to fix it with a magic pill, to be able to take a breath and self-regulate your emotions, be able to, um, to challenge that part of your brain that wants to fix it so fast. Because our brain loves to do that. It loves to keep uh, going really hard and labeling situations. However, this kind of fix-it mentality in complex situations is really, um, is really tough because there is no fix-it approach. In these times of complexity, one person can't just come and fix the situation. The person that you paid a lot of money to and hired, they can't just go to their room, come up with a strategy and push it down. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be pushback because the situation is so complex. Um, one of the... Um, the researchers uh, whom I followed a lot at MIT, he called this dynamic complexity where our sense of the problem is unclear, our sense of the solution is unclear, and the people impacted, our sense of the stakeholders is unclear. So he called this uh, dynamic complexity. And again, in these situations, our brains and our emotional state, they're just not happy because they can't just, our brain can't just label it and be done with it. What's required is these adaptive skills of taking a breath, slowing down, being comfortable in the face of such a complex situation, and being able to bring people together so that you can iterate ideas. So when things speed up, being able to slow down and actually listen and collaborate and not have a fix-it approach, but basically um, have an iterative and incremental approach to this issue that you just, your brain wants to fix so badly. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's super interesting. So that, that's an interesting overview of, you know, the human side of change and why it's so difficult. I, I love that was, um, I love that the acronym. What was the acronym again? Was it? VUCA. VUCA. And tell us again, it's volatility. Unpredictability, complexity, and ambiguity. So volatility just refers to this, just this crazy pace of change that's going on. Um, unpredictability, meaning 
you know, you, you make your plan and you think it's going to give you one outcome and then it gives you a completely different outcome. Complexity in that there is no clear causality or there's so many cause and effects that you can't just narrow it down to if A, then B. Um, and then um, ambiguity, just the, the, the fog of, you know, whenever we talk about artificial intelligence, there's all of a sudden, I feel a fog coming on everybody. Like, what exactly is it again? Right. <laughs> um, one of the researchers I love to follow, he called these kinds of challenging problems wicked problems as an actual technical term, meaning wicked problems don't have a one solution to fix it. They're so complex and they're not going anywhere. And they require you to actually just manage and meet that situation instead of try to fix it because it's not going to be fixed um, and it's not going away. Right. No, that's really interesting. Well, well, we'll stay focused and centered on VUCA here today as we, okay. as we go through the conversation with that in mind. And that's a great way to think about um, why, not only why the human side of change is so important, but also um, why it's difficult. You know, why is it difficult for people to adapt to change? And I think that VUCA acronym really describes that well. And it's a good, a good reminder of some of the complexities that humans face or that we as humans face when we're going through technological change. Uh, what I want to do is just turn to the audience real quickly and look at um, where uh, some people are joining from today. We, we had a few people comment on where they're joining from today. We have Ryan from Denver, uh, Sam from Spain, Laik from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Joel from New Jersey, Peter from Raleigh, North Carolina, um, HA from Cairo, uh, Europe. So there's a, a couple of, of uh, or I'm sorry, not Cairo, Europe, Cairo, Egypt, I should say, um, that HA Ashab is from. Um, so thank you for, for being here today, those of you that have dropped in the chat where you're at today. And if you have questions along the way, anything related to the human intelligence side of change or just organizational change in general, we'd love to hear your, your comments and questions. And I'll, I'll kind of get through my uh, initial questions and we'll turn to the audience as well. Um, so, so I guess as we, as we dive into this then, <coughs> why is, you, you've done a great job of describing just what human intelligence is and what really what some of the complexities of human intelligence are. Um, as it relates to just overall business change, whether it's digital transformation or any sort of transformation for that matter. But in general, why is human intelligence so important? It might be assumed or we, we might be able to um, speculate based on what you've said so far, but what, how would you describe or summarize why it's so important in today's day, day and age of technologies? Absolutely. Well, the more we uh, step into machine machine lear learning and artificial intelligence and all the amazing things that AI is providing us. From what I understand, you know, it's kind of like the garbage in, garbage out that my professor in my first class in computer science told us that, you know, this, this, this is a box. You put garbage in and you're going to get garbage out. And so what I, from what I understand about artificial intelligence, machine learning is that, to the extent that we feed it accurate data, to the extent that we validate the learning process of the machine, 
that's the extent to which we're going to get benefits from artificial intelligence, from machine learning. If we can't bring our full human intelligence to the table, if we can't draw on the institutional knowledge that our people have about their processes, about their industry, about their competition, about the best ways to move forward, if we can't draw on that, if our people are overwhelmed, if they're stressed, if they're guarded in these defense mechanisms, we're just not going to have accurate validation of any of this data that we're getting our these um, machines to learn. So if I, I feel like, you know, if, if, if we're not able to fully tap into our own emotional, our own emotional intelligence, human intelligence, um, and really be able to manage the um, the um, the overthinking that happens, this kind of um, this stress response that comes over us when we're faced with complex situations that literally, in a way, shuts us down. When our stress response is happening, our capabilities to learn, Eric, are really hampered. If we're in this overly stressed, overwhelmed situation, it's really hard for us to learn. It's really hard for us to um, calm down and actually meet the actual face the situation that we're facing. We're so caught up in the meaning that we're making about the situation instead of actually being able to face it. So again, if we can't bring our full human intelligence to program these machines, to get them to do what we're wanting them to do, um, uh, I would be scared about our future because these machines, they're just not going to give us what we were hoping that they would provide. Yeah, yeah, without that missing secret sauce, if you will. Of, Absolutely. Uh, human side. Yeah, I, I don't, I think there's just a lot of um, mis, misinformation out there. And there's a lot of confusion in terms of, oh my God, machines are going to take over as if they're inherently intelligent and they're just going to take us over. And I think that feeling of overwhelm, that feeling of like, oh my God, that's the end of life, it gets us to shut down and want to just be in denial and not want to learn what the hell is machine learning? What is artificial intelligence? Because we all can learn about it and we all can make uh, really intelligent decisions in collaboration with our team members. However, I think because of the volume of information out there on the internet, the volume of misinformation, fake information, um, so we get so overwhelmed, our system um, gets so overwhelmed that we'd rather not know or tune out than to actually understand what the challenges are, what the issues are, and how do I develop my team to be able to deal with this? Right, right. Yeah, and I'd love to hear from the audience too. You know, why do you think human intelligence is so important? And, and what do you think the biggest complexities of human intelligence are? I'd love to hear you know, feedback from the audience as, as we continue the conversation here. But that's a, that's a, great, that's a great overview uh, that you provided there, Noosh. 
We're here with Noosh Bayet from Third Stage Consulting talking about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where we stream the new episodes every Wednesday. You can also find new episodes every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, including Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, etc. So wherever you listen or watch, check us out there. We're here in the middle of a conversation with Noosh Bayat talking about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So let's jump back into the conversation. So so as we look to you you were sort you were starting to allude to this a little bit, Noosh, as as we got into um, as as you described why human intelligence is so important in today's advanced technological era. But in addition to that, what are some of the, what are some of the consequences? If I, if I'm a leader in an organization and I don't, I don't focus enough on human intelligence or emotional intelligence, and I focus too much on technology, I, I'm sort of myopically focused on just making the technology work from a technological perspective. What are the consequences or why is that a problem in, in today's day? You really, um, I mean, I, I'm sure we all have those in- times when we remember where we got so stressed that we literally couldn't do our jobs well. Um, I'd definitely been in situations like that where I was even asked to leave one of the organizations that I love so much just because I would get so stressed about my ability to perform well that instead of taking that breath and bringing my human intelligence to deal with that stress, I would tune out and check out. And so I was perceived as um, not a good member of the team because I just couldn't get past my overwhelm. I couldn't get past my confusion. I couldn't get, I, I couldn't even bring myself to say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Could someone teach me this? You know, because just the sense of overwhelm and the sense of that imposter syndrome. I think in our organizations today, executives and people at across all the levels were asked to deal with so many um, uh, situations in our places of work that um, are so novel. And it's so easy for us to, of course, experience overwhelm and confusion and all the stress response, the, the increase of stress hormones, our heart palpitations, our increased um, blood pressure, all of this. Um, and if we, if we can't find a way to self-regulate that, 
And if our organizations keep piling up change after change after change without really understanding what it is that their humans need in order to be well, you know, we're going to lose our most capable people. We're going to lose this, this, the brain um, trust of our organizations. People are literally going to say, you know, I can't figure it out. I'm just going to check out. They're either going to stay in the organization and really um, derail any effort there is for progress, um, or they're just going to leave. And there, there you have it. Your people with the most passion, with the most heart, with the most um, uh, industry expertise who can help you get to that next phase of technological innovation, you've just pushed them over the edge. And, and that's not just because some people can't deal with stress. That's the human thing. And it's impacting all of us from little kids to our elderly, this overflux of change, this over, uh, uh, this, um, what, what's the word I'm trying to find? This, um, just this change overload and, and this expectation that we should be able to get up and fix it. And our lack of ability to fix it um, and our lack of ability to be able to talk about the fact that one person can't just fix it. We need to come together and listen and collaborate and brainstorm. The lack of ability to do this um, is really harming a lot of our workforce. You know, uh, stress rates, anxiety rates, depression rates, suicide rates are really at an all-time high right now in our country. Great point. I, I think that's um, you know something that a lot of people don't think about is is just you know how hard it is for people's lives in general um, outside of work, and then you come to the workplace, and then you throw all these changes and stressors and triggers on top of people, and it, and it can certainly add up for for certain. Um, so that's that's a great point. Um, so um, here's a here's an interesting uh, comment from the audience here. This is from. Uh, Urtaza on LinkedIn. I hope I pronounced that name. I probably did not, so I apologize if I didn't. Um, but uh, the comment here is, human intelligence has the common sense factor, which AI sometimes lacks, or somewhat lacks. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, chat GPT. That's a, that's a common uh, topic today. It's a hot trend right now. It's a hot buzzword in the uh, technological space, and it's a hot tool being used by a lot of people. Um, and it's interesting to hear or sort of see how these two worlds are colliding, you know, that, that human intelligence with artificial intelligence. But, you know, how do you, can, can artificial and technology ever replace um, common sense, as Ertaza mentions here? Uh, is there, your, or what are your thoughts on that or your comments? Your, your I mean, um, I, to tell you the truth, I don't know. Uh, what I do know is this incredible miracle of, being human, this ability to experience so much stress, uh, our brain, our, the capabilities of our brain to help us through so many difficult situations, and then also this ability for us to have presence and wisdom, um, to be able to, to love 
um, to appreciate, to have empathy with each other. I think those are qualities that are that as humans, we don't even know what that is. I mean, you've been in situations, we've all been in situations where someone has treated us with what we've perceived perceived was utmost disrespect and cruelty. And you can feel what it does to you. You kind of contract and you want to get away from them. And it's like it throws throws you off in so many situations. Like, what is that? What just happened? And then um, vice versa, you're in a situation when there's lots of love and compassion and empathy. And all of a sudden, you feel like you're coming up with amazing new ideas and innovations. And it's like, what happened? You know, like there's just so many subtleties to human ingenuity, to human interaction, to to love, really, to love and compassion that, I mean, I, I think from what I understand so far, it's like we can, um, machines can learn um, patterns in our behaviors so that if they observe me um, interacting with a child, they can say, oh, you have to say this to a child to get them to do this. And your tone of voice has to become kinder or this and that. But is that really empathy? Is that really love? Is that really compassion? Um, like, can, like, I know that computers can have this incredible computational ability that, that humans can never, I don't think, have at the right now as we speak this ability to crunch vast volumes of data um, but can they bring that love and compassion and human presence to it to determine what to do with it i think that part of it it's still we're teaching computers that we're teaching um, ai that capability but i don't think it's Will it ever be organic? I mean, will a machine ever organically realize that uh, they need to love or bring compassion and respect into a situation? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing not, but you never know. Right. No, it's a great, it's a great point. I'd be curious to hear, hear what the audience thinks on, on that uh, debate or that question. Um, speak, and speaking of the audience, here's a really interesting comment. It's a two-part question um, that I'll, I'll play here or I'll show here from uh, Jerry on, um, it's either Jerry or Gary, I apologize, I'm not sure which, but um, on LinkedIn, um, Gary says, uh, today's words that are considered to be able to create harm and be violent. Now we have computers that can say words. We as humans need to get over our fear of words. Uh, but then there's a second part here. Um, the human condition will kill innovation in the AI space. There's a lot of fear about what machines might say. Absolutely, Jerry, like, um, or Gary, um, that's such a great point, which goes back to my, um, what I was bringing up earlier in terms of being able to self-regulate. Emotional intelligence is so critical right now to be able to notice our reactive tendencies towards things that we don't understand and to have it be normal, right. to understand that human defense mechanisms or our uh, 
our tendency to get reactive in the face of things we don't know and to want to shut down, those are so normal and to be able to breathe through it and not take that seriously, not be so overwhelmed by it. So that in so much of my executive coaching work that I do, that's such a critical part of supporting executives to move through their days and make the decisions that they have to make by understanding that being human is really this dance between this reactive survival brain that we have that hates anything that it doesn't understand and this part of us that's full of wisdom and presence and innovation and creativity it's really a dance we're not we can't be a hundred percent in one or the other it's always a dance and to be able to understand that subtlety of how we interact with the world, that when there's something that I don't understand, that all of a sudden I notice my heart rate increasing. I notice wanting to just crawl under the covers instead of say, all right, team, let's get together. Let's throw some ideas at the chalk, let's, at the board. Let's see what we can come up with. Um, this ability to not freak out by our own freak out, it's really important to have compassion for our tendency to freak out, but not take it so seriously that we can't become present to our challenges or, or all these, like you said, Jerry, these amazing opportunities to innovate, um, so that self-regulation, that understanding of our neuroscience is so critical. Right. Yeah. Makes, makes total sense. It's a great question and a great, great response to it too. So thank you. Thank you for the feedback, Jerry. Um, so what about, um, you know, one thing you and I have talked about um, in, in our time working together has been how, um, how the, the divide between human intelligence and artificial intelligence and just technological advances in general, how that chasm is growing. You know, the, the technology is becoming more and more advanced, but we as humans, we yes, we're changing, but we're not changing nearly as fast as technology is. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how, what should we be thinking about as it relates to that divide between human, the human race where we are today? And yes, we're evolving, but not nearly as fast as that exponential accelerated advancement of technology how do we navigate that what you know what are your thoughts there well that's the thing you know uh, when we're faced when we're feeling stress you know a little bit of a stress is great in terms of uh, enhancing our ability to learn right like this live cast the invitation to show up here it caused a lot of stress for me but that stress i utilized it it was good i was like okay let me go through my thoughts let me um, understand what i'm going to talk about so that i sound somewhat decent and and you don't fire me tomorrow <laughs> So that that little bit of stress is very healthy. That kind of stress gets us to study hard for an exam, to get prepared, to get excited. However, when that level of anxiety and stress 
and and to various people it's different it goes overboard it really inhibits our ability to learn and i think that as machines are surpassing our our capabilities to learn which is a okay thing it's like yeah let machines learn all these things that are going to take me years and years and years to learn however um how can i show up and interact with that machine learning so that I can bring my human intelligence, I can bring my insights, and I can put that machine learning to good use. I think that's the divide that we really need to address. What is that, what is it with, with the, within our human condition that can create so much stress that makes us incapable of even wanting to interact with the complexities that um, uh, machine innovation is bringing to us. So I think I keep going back to being able to do, um, to have that level of emotional self-regulation. And not only that, but really being able to um, make sense of the world. You know, our, our brain loves, is, is a storyteller. It loves to make meaning out of the challenges that are happening so that it can engage with it um, in the brilliant ways that it does. But if our meaning-making ability gets diminished, if I'm putting a meaning on everything as, ah, this is going to take my job away, this is, I, I'm never going to be able to do this, like this, our capabilities of making meaning out of in stressful situations. If we can't explain making ability, that story making capability that we all have, we're not going to take our organizations to the next levels because organizations are about the culture, are about the vision, mission statements that they have, are about the meaning that they create in the world. And if their people, um, um, are at that brink of stress and anxiety that they cannot bring new sets of meaning to the challenges that they're making. Um, I think we're not going to get as much out of machine innovation and artificial intelligence as we hope that we can get. Yeah. We're here with Noosh Bayet from Third Stage Consulting talking about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. A man if you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where we stream the new episodes every Wednesday. 
You can also find new episodes every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, including Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, etc. So wherever you listen or watch, check us out there. We're here in the middle of a conversation with Noosh Bayat talking about human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So let's jump back into the conversation. Has an interesting comment. He says that AI will not take chat. Well, AI will not take jobs. Humans using AI will take jobs from humans. What are your thoughts? Do you, do you have any predictions as it relates to that news? As it relates, to absolutely. This? There's so many thought pieces coming out these days from so many of our think tanks that I think even here at third stage that, yeah. Maybe um, remedial jobs are going to be taken over. Maybe that data cruncher no longer needs to spend 40 hours a week uh, crunching data. Um, however, when that machine can do it in five seconds, then we need that person with the, maybe a different set of skills to interact with that AI, right? So I, I don't think that human uh, humans will be... Um, uh, completely taken out of the job market, but new capabilities for sure that we have to learn as humans in order to be able to interact with this amazing um, data crunching power, for lack of a better word, or data mining um, that the machines and AI bring to us. I think new jobs are going to be created as a result, honestly. Certain jobs will be taken away, but definitely new jobs will be brought to the forefront. And to be able to validate the the output that these new machines um, that are taking over jobs, in order to validate their output, there's going to have to be that human intervention to say, yep, this machine did it right, or no, we have to fix it. So I don't think you can get rid of humans, but we definitely have to continue to learn and grow. Um, and I think when you look back over human evolution, we've had to do that at various what do you say, epochs in our evolution, we've had to learn new things. So it's not the end of uh, uh, end of our, uh, it's not a bad thing to have to evolve and learn new skill sets. Right. Yeah, that's that's well said. And I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing. Um, and here's an interesting comment from Sam on LinkedIn. And, and Sam says, to get the best from AI, do we need to learn to be better at asking questions. And, and I think this is a fascinating question or, or comment because it, it, it sort of plays to the whole emotional intelligence and how can you use emotional intelligence or human intelligence to make AI more effective? Absolutely. Um, that That's 100%, Sam. You're so spot on. Earlier in this, pod, uh, in this uh, conversation, we talked about adaptive skills. Um, you need adaptive skills in conjunction with your technical skills to be able to maneuver through this world of complexity where there is no linear causation. And adaptive skills are exactly that, our ability to be able to slow down, take a breath, um, have uh, craft better questions in order to engage, bring people together to be able to uh, understand what is even our questions? What are what is our starting point? So these these adaptive skills are a hundred percent so critical these days. Right. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, 
Great question, Sam, and uh, even better response, Noosh. So I uh, thank you that, for that. Um, what about employee and organizational wellness? You know, you, you talk, and I, I think you alluded to this a little bit as we were talking before about stress and, and uh, the VUCA um, acronym that we talked about earlier. What, what are some of the, the ways that, you know, constant change and the advancements of change in general and the organizational change in general, how is that affecting the wellness or lack thereof of organizations and, and their employees? I mean, we, <clears throat> we interact with organizations 24 seven, um, at least eight hours a day on calls with our amazing clients and our amazing teams. And um, we know that executives and everyone in organizations are really suffering these days. There is so much disruption and change going on. There's such a fast pace to need to quickly re-strategize, quickly roll out something so that they, you don't fall behind the curve, so that you can stay competitive. And we're brought in, in, in those fires, as you know, um, we're brought in to provide uh, organizational change management strategies. It, you know, it used to be back in 2005 when I started in OCM that there was just like one change and we 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 organized all our efforts to that one change. And it was called that that point of change was called the valley of despair, where you had a dip in performance and all our efforts were to really mitigate that dip in performance and support the people to navigate through that dip, that valley of despair and go back on track. There was one new technology or there was a culture change or there was a merger, like there was just one change. But honestly, over the past five, six years, there's just, it's like these Russian dolls. There's like change on top of change on top of change. We're brought into an organization to support them with their technological change and adoption. And all of a sudden you see that, oh my God, there's a, um, there was a merger and acquisition here. There's uh, this technology change there. There's just so much happening at the same time. So I think one of the ways that organizations have to deal with it is to really tap into the human intelligence in their teams, really bring them along, not just force changes on them, but really bring them to the table, bring your frontline people to the table, create these coalitions across the agency where you can learn from the human intelligence of all your teammates. Because the challenges that executives are facing to be competitive isn't something that they can just figure out behind closed doors anymore. They have to tap into the human intelligence of their full teams. And if there is a technological change that they want to go through or a cultural change, um, then it's the human intelligence of their full organization that's going to help them to bridge that gap because these days there's not just one valley of despair there's just despair period yeah, yeah. because there's just so much and you don't know which change you're trying to mitigate so tapping into that human intelligence and bringing the people to the table so that they're they're co-owners 
of taking the organization to the next level. They can bring their insights. They can bring their um, um, their their influence, their peer influence, to really support their people to to bridge um, go, move through these transition states. Right. Right. Yeah. Great. Great point, and and very well said. So we've covered a lot here in terms of, uh, you know, the fact that technology is changing so quickly and how the impact affects employees and organizations and why human intelligence is so important. And in some ways, it can be overwhelming to think about all this stuff. It's a, it's a lot to take in, especially when, like I said before, a lot of times we're, we're more focused on the shiny, cool technology. You know, we're focused on the things that we can see and touch and feel. So given that it is so important human intelligence and it is so complex and it's hard to get our head around at times. Um, what are some of the best ways to, to really start addressing the human versus tech technology issues in an organization, in an organizational change strategy and plan? So as we're planning for change, what is it, you know, what are some ways that we can get started or some tangible first steps that we can take? To Absolutely. Well, I would say to anyone who has that power to, give the go ahead to these huge tech innovations it's you know really think twice about your aggressive timelines you and I both know we've been in so many tech implementations where the, they started out with a very aggressive timeline but their business functions they just weren't able to um understand the new business processes fast enough. So implementation had to just get pushed or pushed, or they had to press go live, but the, the organization was just in disarray because their people couldn't um, understand the, their business requirements fast enough. So I think one of the first things is that think twice about your aggressive timeline. You know, you think you, you have to go live in three months, but do you? <laughs> Right. And what are the consequences of doing Do that? Do you? And can we phase it? You know, how can you, again, bring your people into the conversation that even if you have to go live in that uh, in 30 days or in that crazy aggressive timeline, that your people are with you? You can't just say anymore, this is what's going to happen. You have to either learn it or leave. Well, I mean, if you do that approach, which a lot of organizations, they, 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 it seems like that's their last approach. You know, you're going to see um, a lot of uh, good people leaving your organizations. And sometimes organizations use that as a way to clean house, unfortunately, to have to let go, to have people self-select out so that they can bring new new people on board. But you know, if that's the culture of your organization, then you're gonna burn those people out too. You're gonna have such high turnovers that you're just not gonna have people who are the carriers of your culture. You're not gonna have people who are gonna stand by you and be loyal and really breathe passion into your mission and vision. So, so yeah. Think twice about your implementation timeline. Bring your people on board. Start to have those conversations. Bring value to what people understand 
is their business requirements. You know, so often we want to just dive into change impact analysis, but it's like, well, if I'm pushing this change onto my, let's say my warehouse unit or my sales team, like what is, let them talk to you about what are those business requirements that they need? What is, what is it that makes them successful today? Like they're able to call, talk to their customer quickly and efficiently. They're able to be able to give them a quote, kind of like they've done historically very quickly. That customer feels heard and understood. Okay, if that's a business requirement, how can we preserve that no matter what technology is brought? How could we bend technology to help us preserve that, that business requirement? So, so often, like you said, I think um, um, uh, software vendors, they want us to bend our mission and values and business processes to fit the technology. But if we can bring our full human intelligence to those conversations, we can actually have a nice dialogue with our software vendors saying, hey, you're telling me that this out-of-the-box functionality is the only way, but is it, you know? And if it is, well, we need some, we need to have a phased approach so that we can find workarounds because we don't want to give up this business requirement. So I think um, we have to have more of a, a conversation instead of an arm wrestle between our technology and our uh, and what makes us be successful businesses in terms of meeting our customer needs. Right. Yeah. Well. Well said. And I, I think that that's a, a great way to start. I mean, I think that's the what we have to look at is how do we start this journey? How do we start to at the very least, think about the human side of change and the, the organizational change side of things. And we talk about that a lot on this podcast, you know, the whole the whole idea of, of, of the importance of change management, why the people side of the equation is so important. But we're getting pretty deep into this here as far as that, that human intelligence piece, which, which is uh, so critical for sure. Um, well, good. Well, I want to thank you for being here. Time flies when you're having fun and we're already against <laughs> the... Uh, up against the hour here. So thank you for, for being here with us here today. News really appreciate it. And um, definitely appreciate the audience uh, being here as well today. Thank you so much. And and before we sign off, I just wanted to say something that happened in my own team um, at third stage uh, over the past couple of weeks where uh, there was there was something that I said that was uh, misinterpreted by somebody. My intentions were misinterpreted and you know, we were able to come to the table and have some intelligence and uh, emotional conversations around it so that uh, we could help to resolve whatever that challenge was so that we could get to the work that we're trying to get, which is technology and supporting with people with that adoption. And uh, it just, it didn't go past me how important that was, that my boss was able to bring his human intelligence into the conversation, that we were, all the parties were able to come to the table, that whether we were reluctant or not, we were able to be able to say, hey, I'm feeling some stress around this situation or that situation. And how can we bring our humanity into this conversation so that we can resolve it? There's like hundreds and thousands of these 
um, instances that happen these days in the workplace as organizations are trying to go to their future state of technology innovation and being able to slow down and bring our human and emotional intelligence into the workplace so that we can build bridges of understanding. We can build strong relationships that can withstand um, the, the turmoils that are in our way is really critical. And I'm again, I'm so happy that I'm in an organization that really lives those values and is able to um, model that every day. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Noosh. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to the audience for the great questions. A lot of good stuff we covered here. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, unpack a couple of the themes that we discussed there with Noosh. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When fears are big, that should be small. Who can tell what magic spells we'll be doing? Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, streaming to LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So be sure to check us out wherever you listen or watch the podcast. Um, so we just had Noosh Bayat on the show talking about man versus machine, human intelligence versus AI, um, sort of that, um, that debate that's been ongoing for years now about will technology eliminate our jobs? How can we coexist with technology? Can we coexist with technology? All that good stuff. And what's really interesting is uh, this whole debate. I, I remember even when I was a kid, I, I grew up in the 80s, right? So I, I was uh, uh, moved to Colorado uh, in southern Colorado, a really small mountain town uh, when I was seven or eight years old. And uh, when I first moved to Colorado, my parents both coincidentally got jobs at um, Digital Equipment Corporation, which is no longer around. They no longer exist. They were acquired by Compaq years back, and I, I don't know what happened to them since. But moved to Colorado. Um, they got a, a jobs at Digital Equipment Corporation, which was based in, uh, or they had a big office in Colorado Springs, which is close to where I grew up. I grew up in a small town up in the mountains, about 20 miles from Colorado Springs, a town called Woodland Park. And um, they uh, they worked at digital, and I remember, you know, it was all about computers and supercomputers. The Wang supercomputer was sort of like a, a big thing back then, and um, digital themselves made big mainframes and big, big computer systems. And I remember, you know, just the, the fear that I sensed as a kid that these computers are really cool, and I was always fascinated by computers and technology. But I also thought um, it just seemed a little scary, like, oh, wow, these, you know, these robots and computers and stuff like that could really eliminate our jobs. And... Um, so I just, you know, a young age, and I think a lot of kids of the 80s, you know, grew up with that sort of, I don't, know, I don't know if it was fear, but it just became such a part of our culture, robots and sort of that 
futuristic sort of stuff like Terminator came out in the 80s. Um, a lot of a lot of computer-based uh, you know stories uh, about technology, good and bad, that sort of thing. So something that's really been around for you know most of my life, right? Ever since I was a kid, I remember this fear of technology, but it seems to be back. You know, it's sort of like with ChatGPT now and AI. Though for whatever reason, that technology seems to be freaking people out more than say ERP systems might have you know 20 or 30 years ago or or other types of technologies. There's always been sort of an underlying fear. And every organization goes through it. But I think it's just a sort of a stark reminder that, you know, the undercurrent in society is, is sort of a general fear. And, it, of course, we talked earlier in this episode in the Hot Topics, we talked about that Goldman Sachs study that, that predicted that 300 million jobs could be eliminated as a result of AI just in the U.S. and Europe alone, not to mention other parts of the world. So, you know, that, that certainly doesn't help people's anxiety levels or stress levels or fear levels or whatever the case may be. And so I think it's important to recognize that and recognize that no matter what you're going through as an organization, when you're going through digital transformation, people are going to have some sort of underlying fear. And it may not be in the same way that I have, you know, because I grew up in the 80s and my parents worked at a technology company that, you know, that's my own thing. But every organization and every person within an organization is going to have their own baggage, if you will, their own fears, their own stressors or their own anxieties about what's going to happen to their job. And so it's really important to recognize that and to be cognizant of it, that you know, you have to assume that even the best intentioned people are going to have some sort of fear. They're going to have some uncertainty and they're going to have some doubt as to what technology is going to do to them. And they may fully be on board with the idea of deploying technology and going through a digital transformation because they know it can help an organization. So on the surface, they're on board. They think, okay, I get it. I understand why we're deploying technologies. But then when you really start to dig deeper and peel back the onion of that person's job, of my job, and now you're telling me that you're going to automate stuff, you're going to change and disrupt my daily life, that's where I start to freak out. And so I might still be on board with the long-term vision and the plan for digital transformation within our organization, but now that it's affecting me and it's getting personal, that's where I start to resist and that's where I start to freak out or not be as on board as I should be to be as supportive as I could be for the project. So those are the kinds of things you have to think about is from a change management perspective, how do you bridge that gap? And how do you address that underlying, that undercurrent of fear that, that many organizations have? And I think, uh, you know, this, this conversation with Noosh really did a nice job of, of uh, she did a nice job of really explaining and, and helping us understand how the two can go ex- coexist. I, I, I love having Noosh on the show and I love working with Noosh because she's such a positive person and she has such a positive view on just life in general and, and certainly professionally uh, has a very positive view as well. And so I, I like how she, you know, she's able to unpack this in a way that isn't solely fear-based. It recognizes the fears and the, the doubts and the uncertainties around technology, but she talks about it in a way that really dives into the, um, you know, the positive of it and how we can coexist and how technology and humans together can be better uh, than what, what we might be, you know, without, without both. So really interesting stuff and appreciate having her on the show uh, for sure. So, um, We'll hopefully hopefully have her on again soon, and we'll cover more people and human-based stuff as well. But uh, we're going to shift gears now and bring on our next guest, uh, who is Dr. Mudasir Ahmed, here to talk about the future of supply chain management. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. 
With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. My name is Eric Kimberling, CEO of Third Stage Consulting. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to check us out there, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So our next guest is actually a previous guest, or this this interview was one that we, we published on this podcast uh, over a year ago, I believe it was. But it's a really good conversation worth revisiting, especially because we did talk about uh, supply chain management earlier in this episode. We want to build on it a little bit more and just talk about the future of supply chain management, where it's headed. So we had a chance to interview a while back Dr. Mudasir Ahmed to talk about the future of supply chain management. So let's roll the clip and we'll play you that clip again uh, to dive into the future of supply chain management. Thank you very much, Eric. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I've been watching your TikTok videos and your YouTube channel. It's pretty fantastic. So thanks. You know, great to be connected and you get me on the show on your Tuesday podcast. Looking forward for discussion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for being here all the way from Dubai. So you're, you're based in Dubai. And uh, maybe okay. just to, before we jump into the questions I have for you to start and any any questions that the audience might have, maybe just tell us a little bit about um, yourself, What it, maybe a little bit about your background and as well as what SEM Dojo is and what SEM Dojo does. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. So start from myself because SEM Dojo is kind of linked with, with my background as well. So I'm an engineer by trade, originally from, from Pakistan, then went to Sweden, did my master's in management of production supply chain. This is where I basically get into the field. And But I always thought I have a research mindset and now I got a PhD scholarship on a couple of schools. So I choose Lancaster University Management School, went as a PhD scholar, and I was working for a company called Eaton. So it was like a kind of funded project. And then Eaton said, you know, why don't you work full time with us and we'll fund your PhD? I said, yeah, that sounds good to me. So basically, then I worked for Eaton, is an American company from 2005 until 2017. And I did a lot of jobs, uh, almost all the jobs in supply chain, buyer, demand planner, materials manager, you know, supply chain manager, manufacturing manager, logistics director. I've done all of that, hands up. And then when I finished my PhD in 2015-16, I realized there's not a lot of practical content. So, you know, there was a... Uh, a lot of content out there from the, we call it this inbound uh, marketing people, you know, social media influencers, especially on the digital marketing people, you know, top 10 ways, how to improve your LinkedIn profile or, you know, top 10 people to follow in wherever. I just realized that there's not enough practical content for the supply chain because very much descriptive. And being a supply chain person, I realized also that this, if you think about the standard the chartered bodies like Apex or SIPs or ISM, I mean, they've done all of them have done a great job, but they, they just push theory so much. But if you go into the field of supply chain, uh, theory is important, theory is relative, is a hygiene factor you need it. But what makes you differentiated from your you know competition or your peers is uh, how good you are understanding technology and how good you are understanding the, the people side of this. If that means your leadership skills, your communication skills. Uh, your networking skills, managing up, managing down, so on and so forth. I come up with this model of, I want to write a content which is helpful for the supply chain people. Because basically, whatever I've learned in 
12, 13 years in industry. So I started making, uh, started with my own name, Mudasrizm, that was a blog. Uh, for example, I started writing things like uh, uh, 18 ways how to reduce inventory or 25 different interview questions because, you know, I interviewed a lot of people or gave a lot of interviews as well. So it resonated with people. And then I think 17, 18, they, one of my bosses moved to Dubai. He was the head of Bridgestone and he said, why don't you come for us? So I was the head of planning and operations for Bridgestone. So when I come to Dubai, actually, uh, people start inviting me into a lot of conferences as a speaker or etc. And I just realized I should change the brand into something more useful. So hence the birth of STM Dujo in July 2018. Dujo is a Japanese word, which means place to stay and meditate. So it's coming from this whole judo karate background. So the vision of STM Dujo is to help supply chain functions and supply chain community to do better in their job. So, and what I mean by to do better in their job and solve problems. So for example, if you're looking for courses, you, we have a best in class tutors here. We have on-demand courses on, I have a course on SNOP, sourcing, modern warehousing, and we have recorded about 27 courses, which will be going live. What is very interesting we have is the best practices. So for example, if you want to have a, a SOP of how to do stock take or cycle counting or plan for every part or Basically, your boss asks you, oh, let's improve our KPI, supply chain KPI dashboard. So all of them, you can come to SMDujo, you can buy, you can download, you can customize, you can look very good in front of boss. I don't, I don't mind. Actually, you can sell it as well if you like. I don't really care either way. Right. So so we we, we got a lot of best practice content. And, and we also have a lot of self-assessment tools, which men, management consultants sell it, sold it, you know, sell it for thousands of dollars. So for example, one of the famous ones I have is the Materials management competency assessment, which got around 11 categories, 78 different questions. So, if you're a supply chain manager, supply chain director, or, or supply chain or professional any in general, so if you want to know how good you are into all dimensions of supply chain material management, you can go to SMDujo/tools, slash tools, uh, conduct the tools, and then it will give, give you a spiral chart at the end. It will tell you the uh, gaps you have in your knowledge, and you can improve. So, you have a lot of self-assessment tools, a lot of best practice guides and content. And our aim is to become platform. What I mean by platform is it, it's not just me because 11, 12 different contributors and ideas to have people like you, Eric, and any other supply chain leaders and experts listening to listening to this podcast, come and join me, contact me, and will you have an uh, as an expert so you can you know we can help you distribute your own knowledge into some kind of product. So our vision is to become the go-to place for supply chain community when it comes to knowledge, content, and access and, and mentoring as well. Yeah, that's great. And that's a, it's a great model. And I think you, you've identified a, a, a significant need in the marketplace um, to, for that practical knowledge. So that's pretty cool that you, you started it. And the timing is certainly good. I'm, I'm sure you didn't know ahead of time back in 2018 that how important supply chain management would become and how much of a, a buzzword it would I become. Agree. Just to add one, to, one thing and credit to as well, because thanks to COVID, I find COVID pretty interesting, actually. It has given two things to us. First of all, it forces us to watch videos. So my YouTube channel has gone bigger and maybe yours. So we're talking to each other. And second, it has proven that a lot of supply chain functions, in supply chain, we manage information, right? Mostly to manage materials, to manage the money back. And, and we can manage, we can do a lot of supply chain jobs remotely, right? Which gives us access. I mean, look at this conversation. You know, we're connected digitally and we're talking about it. So I am totally firm believer that supply chain has become global for last two, three decades anyway. I'm a firm believer that supply chain jobs will now also become global, very much like what happened to IT industry. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even more so over over time. I um, mean, I'd love to hear, too, from the audience. Uh, thank you for everyone who who dropped in the chat where you're from. But I'd love to hear 
um, sort of what your role is just for people that are joining us live here. Are you in the supply chain field? What is your role? Are you consultant? Are you just interested in supply chain management? Love to hear from the audience here in terms of how you fit into the supply chain world and, and sort of what, what your interests are. Um, but as the audience is answering that question, um, another question for you, Moodus um, here, is uh, what do you see as the biggest challenges in today's supply chain environment? Every, everyone's talking about it. There's Everyone's pretty well aware of supply chain bottlenecks and breakdowns and disruptions. But what do you see as the biggest issues just based on, on your experience in the supply chain? I'm going to give you a short answer, but I'm going to give you a long answer later on as well, right? Because I think it's important to go back. The, the, the sure. short answer here is if you see the, the three V's of uh, supply chain, the, you know, the visibility, velocity, and variability. So we we clearly have a big issue around the visibility. I think we all agree to that part as well, right? And which leads to the how we want to make our supply chain more agile, more faster, more, you know, from the velocity perspective, right? Well, one thing we are not trying to focus, we should focus on how we are going to reduce the variation in our processes and how we do business, right? And I think if we just focus more on standardization of work, standardization of best practices, standardization of uh, operating principles within your supply chain organization and within your extended supply chain, both with customers and in downstream and, and, and your suppliers upstream, it will definitely going to give you a better way to first increase the velocity and second improve the visibility. So somehow I tend to see there's less focus on reducing the variation of how you do business or how you run your supply chain, right? So I think there's a more focus required in the variation part. That's right. a short answer. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah the, what are the three V's again? So visi visibility, variation, visi and velocity. Visibility, velocity, and variability. So our aim in supply chain is to increase the visibility from upstream to downstream as much as possible, right? Our aim is to increase velocity of both information flow and material flow as quick as possible, because that's what we want, right? We need everything like super agile, you know, now and Amazon style. And our aim is to reduce variability where, wherever possible. Right, right. So, so when you look at that three V model, then how how is that different, or or what has changed within those three Vs, just in the post pandemic world and this supply chain yeah. constraint? Because see, when the pandemic hits, it has caused uh, 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 basically a, a tsunami of disruption, right? When it caused the tsunami of disruption, that means now everybody needs to know where's my where's my container, where's my beds, right? That has aggravated a huge amount of a focus on visibility right but then if you think about your your the processes how you you used to run before your snop your inventory management your demand planning your supply planning it has been disrupted and you don't have the let's call it process agility to deal with those disruptions right because there's a there's a variation in supply chain now call it bulletproof effect call it whatever right but how you have basically redesigned your processes or how you make your processes agile enough to cater with those with those with, with those variations right okay now right. last year nobody was getting a container then because as soon as the lead time goes wrong what people do let's order more inventory everybody's more, more ordering more inventory now if you if you're in the market and asking people everybody's saying oh i don't have a good sellout because i've got too much inventory but you should not be ordering in the first place right the you should be focusing on 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 the lead time rather than ordering more right and this is what right. i'm talking about right is this knee-jerk reaction of the situation rather than saying you know let's let's take a step back we know what has happened right 
and then think about what is the right course of action, right? Ordering more inventory because you just got a long lead time may not be the right thing because you don't know what's going to happen six to 12 months down the line. You might not be able to sell it. And that's actually what's happening right now. Right. Yeah, that's a great uh, connecting the dots of, of sort of the three Vs being relevant throughout supply chains at any point in time, but sort of how it applies to today's uh, supply chains too. We're here playing you a clip of an interview I did last year with Dr. Mudasir Ahmed talking about the future of supply chain management. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here playing you a clip with Dr. Mudasir Ahmed chatting with me about the future of supply chain management. Let's jump back into the conversation. One more thing I want to add on this. So if you go back to the history and evolution part, so supply chain, and this is another important, I think this is also good for supply chain. So supply chain was never considered as a strategic function before COVID. And I think we all agree to that in some different nuance form, right? So supply chain was not even a word until 2000, right? So if you see the history of supply chain, it was like transportation, then 60s was distribution, then it was materials management, and then logistics management in 1990s, and then 2000, the supply chain is born, right? But from the 2010 onwards, so if you go to SM Dujoy, I wrote a blog on evolution of supply chain logistics. The COVID has, it has accelerated the digitalization of supply chain, I think by 5X, right? It is faster and faster than it. If the COVID would have not happened, we probably won't be focusing on it. But now because COVID has happened, now there's a huge push on supply chain digitalization, uh, both integration, both upstream and downstream, either cloud solutions or ERP integrations, or whatever, right? Is to have a better visibility of the demand patterns, right? Which again, I think is turned out to be a good thing for supply chain strategically so there's a focus on digitalization there's a money on the table that's why you are expert on it that's why i watch your videos and i think i do the same thing and i think that's a that's a good thing right what do, what do you think about that eric yeah I, I totally agree i mean i think it's it's sort of accelerated a trend that was already starting but it but it's fast-tracked it and it's and it's exposed um the pandemic exposed a lot of weaknesses and deficiencies in the supply chain i think maybe we were fortunate for 10 or 20 years to have pretty stable supply chains, especially mm -hmm. with globalization. And, you know, it took a long time to build a, these global supply chains that worked really well in a predictable, predictable environment. But in an unpredictable environment, we were finding it maybe it doesn't work so well. Maybe we need to rethink how we um, have the visibility and the um, 
the variability in our processes and all that stuff. So, and that's a way digitization can help all those, you know, the three yeah. V's that you talked about. Yeah, and, and that's the future. And that's, a, that's essentially the answer of this, of, the, of this conversation, right? The future of supply chain. The future of supply chain is going toward more digital and building both digital competencies for your supply chain and for your people. Right, yeah, absolutely. And, and here's a question from our audience, actually, that you, your your response there was a perfect segue into this question from Roger on YouTube, and I'll put it up on the screen for those that are watching. But um, are supply chain implementations using SAP or NetSuite doing Agile? It's been a few years since I've done these implementations. Everyone was still on waterfall or a hybrid approach. And back to your point about digitization and use of technology and supply chains, what are your thoughts on this, especially as organizations have these knee-jerk reactions that you talked about and they're trying to do stuff quickly how do you see agile fitting into supply chain transformations or or do you see agile fitting in i, I definitely see agile fitting in that's what it you know is designed because the more digital we get that means we are more getting into the or the best practices developed in it industry that i mean i'm trying to make right. an easy 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 comparison but i think it's a relevant comparison right because what is digitalization? So I asked this question actually pretty much. So what is the difference between uh, digitization, digital uh, digitalization and digital transformation? And it is astonishing that everybody says the same thing. But no, because I'm a researcher, right? I'm, a, I'm an academic guy at the same time. I want to differentiate the definition. There's right. a clear difference, differentiation. So my watch is basically a digital watch, but it, it used to be analog, right? So I made something analog to digital, right? Digitalization is then if I start producing data like health data, right, which is asking me to run more or do something, that means that is digitalization. Digital transformation is using digital trans te technologies or, or yeah, digital technologies to improve your internal processes or provide more value to a customer. That is digital transformation. So if you think you are digitalizing, yeah, you're using digital data to create more data to change some behavior, but you're not really changing your business model. If you're not really changing your business model, then you're not doing any data transformation. So now with this very specific definition, I'm going to answer the question, right? So because again, we're talking about IT, so agile will definitely work. So everybody should learn agile. Everybody should know what is MVP. Everybody should know what is wireframing because you all should be doing it. I can promise you that. If you don't know what is minimum viable product, if you don't know what is wireframing, start learning, right? It's all those terms. I've done a digital transformation project within Bridgestone. It was a success story big time. I've learned that by doing it. So I'm for more this concept more and more, right? So buy a book called Lean Startup by Eric Ries, fantastic book. Okay, now, I, if you Google right now, anybody sitting on the laptop, why ERP sucks? You should find SEM Dujo blog, number one. And since you are an ERP expert, Eric, right? I mean, I think you should read that and give me a, your critical commentary. I will, what that's good. Yeah, so let's, let, let, one of my critical commentary in that blog is, it's an old blog actually, two and a half years old blog, that what ERP has done, even with SAP HANA, I never use NetSuite, so I'm not going to go down the NetSuite way because I, I don't know that ERP. Well, I know SAP, right? They ha they've come up, they put, they took, in the, they took this enterprise cloud, sorry, enterprise ERP, put them into the cloud. It still have this bloody same T code and a bit more business analytics and you can do some queries. I mean, I used to use, uh, Cognos 10 years ago. I used to write queries before in Vpex. So writing queries is not a new thing. So what is new actually? So my biggest criticism is following. ERP is the biggest database for your business, right? All your sales data, your planning data, your, your orders data, everything is there. Your routing data, everything is there. But why ERP right now is not 
smart and i don't want to swear it because i don't know a lot of people there why is not smart it's not smart enough to give me my predictive analytics my 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 prescriptive analytics why in this age i have to download all my planning data then do my inventory optimization made to order made to stock analysis and then decide to reduce my sap should have those ml ai uh, you know rules built in and should be suggesting to us right okay you put a safety stock in you are not selling change it right or convert this made to stock item to made to order item the rule should be defined so my biggest criticism is the erp is still very much a old school erp is just on the cloud right there isn't enough intelligence built in to drive digital transformation so okay they have digitalized it but still erps the new ones are not enabling businesses for digital transformation and i'm happy i'm happy to debate with anybody on this topic yeah what do you think that is is it just outdated technologies is it the wrong focus from companies that are implementing the technology or what is it i think, I think they're too big it's too big this is sap is too big uh, i think you see the i mean you probably know more than me on this if i'm not wrong the top five ERP players covers 65% of the market, right? Between SAP, uh, oh. Microsoft, NetSuite, Oracle, right? And, yeah. and they got so much, they, are, they make so much money in doing what they're doing, they probably don't need to. So, so I personally think there's a disruption required in the whole ERP market in itself. So ERP was a database with a fixed close. I'm coming up with the theory of why don't we create a, a, a product which is uh, workflow based, and connected with databases so you can actually have a more let's call it flexible workflows which is linked to whatever database you wanted and now you can do whatever after that so i think there's potential of doing it if you think about it differently oh, yeah actually yeah okay somebody shared the link as well kylie kyla thank you yep and we just yeah our marketing team just dropped in the chat the link to the why erp sucks blog and now i'm, I'm gonna have to go read it now i'm intrigued i, I want to know what your uh, what your thoughts are on that so I'll be sure to share some feedback with that too. Um, so that's interesting because, so just to back up for a second, then with this whole ERP versus today's supply chain issues, it seems like ERP and and back to the original question, by the way, related to, to agile versus versus waterfall, ERP in many ways is built. You know, it's a big, massive integrated system. Whether it's SAP or NetSuite or Oracle, any of those systems. It's a big, massive integrated system, which um, in some ways you think, well, a fast way to deploy it would be to use Agile, but they're just so broad and integrated and it's hard to do. But supply chain challenges today might require more of an Agile approach where you've got to fix some immediate pain or address some immediate opportunity that you have to improve your supply chain. Would you agree with that? Or is that sort of what's pulling? I 100% agree. So uh, I left Eaton, no, Eaton, Bridgestone in October. Uh, but uh, before that, we were working on Sapana, and and uh, if you see the deployment plan, what agile based as well. So so you come in, you do your uh, scenario planning, then you have an agile run, then you sit down with the consultant, and then they fix what they fix, and then you have an next agile run, right? So so it's definitely right. it's definitely the way to go. Yes. Okay. Good. So here's here's another uh, question. This this question is from um, Raphael on LinkedIn. And he makes a comment that I currently work in a distribution factory. The pandemic definitely exposed our weaknesses in communication. Um, yeah. I guess I'm curious, is that something you've seen or is that something you've seen that can be resolved potentially through technology and or organizational changes? Or how do you see organizations dealing with this sort of dynamic that, that Raphael talks about here? 
So I'm not, I need a bit more elaboration from Raphael on the what, what do you mean by communication, right? Internal or external or, or market information? What does that let's, mean? So let, let's talk about let's assume it's it's uh, both, you know, internal and internal with our right. own you know, visibility into what's what we need internally, but also as with our customers as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's down to a point you make earlier is this whole change of how we used to do business and run processes, very you know, established supply chain. And a way of communication, right? You send a PO, somebody acknowledge, don't acknowledge, they ship stuff and, you know, whatever. You used to have a face-to-face -face meeting with your colleagues, you go and see them, and issue, you sort it out. But if you're working remotely, then, you know, getting five people on the call at the same time is a, is a, is a, is a bollock, right? Because you have to make sure you send an invite and then somebody's dog is barking, somebody got some kids crying or whatever. So it's getting... It is getting, it is getting, it is getting difficult, right? So, so both communication internally and externally is difficult with the supplier, right? But there, if you think about it, more and more tools are available right now. You know, WhatsApp for business and Slack. I mean, Slack is thirty billion dollar company right now, just because it's a fantastic communication tools, right? So, communication is an issue definitely, and therefore the new communication apps are coming out, both both business applications and both uh, uh, both personal applications at the same time. Right. What is this? I, I never used Slack before. I know Slack, I knew of Slack, but I only started using it. It was just a better and faster way to communicate. Right, right. Okay. Um, what, um, when you think about, I'm gonna ask one more question related to supply chain in general, and then I might shift gears and talk about careers uh, in supply chain. Yeah. But uh, one question here is, uh, you know, how should organizations be rethinking their supply chains today? In other words, how should they view their supply chains? How should they be focusing on improving their supply chains today versus pre-2020, pre-pandemic? You know, what's changing yeah. in that? So, so good, good questions. I would say I see, when I see supply chain, I see in four, four dimensions, really, right? I see in four different dimensions, four, four, four. I have a actually very famous talk on four pillars of supply chain strategy, which is people, process, system, and execution. Right. So when you're looking into when you're designing your supply chain and you're looking post pandemic, so you need to look into really start from the people. You know, do we have the right people? Do we have the right competencies in place to do what we need to do? Right. So you can't really say I'm gonna digitalize everything in my e-procurement and and, and 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 supply chain, and you don't have a people who actually understand cloud. I'm just I'm just saying, right? Uh, uh, so so you you really got to understand how cloud works to go any digitalization effort, right? And believe me or not, most of the supply chain people doesn't come from any IT background and they don't understand cloud. I mean, using cloud application doesn't mean you understand cloud, by the way, right? right. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm just giving you an example. So how you upgrade them, how you want to coach them, how you want to mentor them, how you provide them the right knowledge, right? Okay, maybe. So that's one thing. Second thing you need to look into your existing processes. One of my biggest bugbear of uh, digitalization and, and again, moving to the supply chain is you can't digitalize anything unless you do it, you have a standard process in place. You got to standardize to digitalize, so so you need to start looking into it. Okay, we have had a standard process before, which is now disrupted post pandemic. We got new challenges in place. How are we gonna reshape and redesign our processes? Let's standardize those. Let's write it down. Let's write it down a better way to communicate. Maybe SNOP we used to run once in a month. Maybe not good enough. Let's do twice a month, right? For mm. example, right? Because there's more frequent changes, so process change. Then you need to take those people skills and processes and need to fit around the existing system, whatever system you're using, right? So you can't change the system overnight. It's expensive commodity. You've got to, but you need to re 
you need to make sure your the redesign processes are somehow configurable around the systems you have or you need to buy a new piece of kit or maybe develop your own and then move to the execution part which is probably the most interesting tip i can give you give you today people hang up too much around too much talking too much discussion too much time and effort in listing down a lot of action and not enough time on execution and this is where i love the mvp theory that what they say is you design a bare bone bare bone of the functional product or a process then you test it out give it to the user right and get a feedback and then develop on it so basically what i'm saying is if you want to drive change improvement into the new challenges don't come up with 200 different actions come up with like five top five design that what you're actually going to do come up with the aggressive timeline and do it and learn it and fail it and do it again and add more right yeah and it's a, another case for the agile the agile approach to transformation is is being able to to quickly uh, deploy solutions that'll that'll help the supply chains in today's environment um now shifting gears a little bit then how about um uh careers you know it, it seems like supply chain would be a great area if, if i were starting for straight out of college i think supply chain management would probably be the thing i would do uh, personally especially today you know, what, what, what do you what are the trends in supply chain management careers and i will actually ask our friend in marketing to go again to my channel cow so if you go to my channel there's a video called uh, why 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 supply chain is a great seven reasons why supply chain is a great career choice so if you kyle can share it on my youtube channel it's in the i think it's the main video so I think it's a fantastic career choice right away for many reasons. Apart from all the good things you already mentioned, there is a plenty of job opportunities around. It's a focus area. Now we have a seat on the table into the into the function. People even used to don't think supply chain is a function. You know, if you ask people right now, marketing everybody knows, sales, HR, but people don't used to think supply chain as a function, right? right. But now supply chain is a function. You know, everybody knows it, or we will be telling people. So, so that's good. Jobs are good. Money is good, right? And the best part I would say is we are almost a, a, a football analogy. So we are almost like a central midfielders, right? We can go back to defend if you want to. We can be attacking feet. So we are connecting the, the football in the field, right? So we're talking to marketing people, finance people. We're talking about product management people. We're talking to IT people. You cannot implement ERP without, uh, without, uh, without IT, without us really, right? And essentially, ERP is an IT system. The point, um, thank you for sharing. Uh, Paris has shared it as well. Uh, so the point is, you can don't have to. If you don't like supply chain, that's okay, right? Spend two, three years. You can go to marketing. You can go to sales. In fact, you can go to operations. You know, I've done a job of manufacturing. So it give you a many easier way to maneuver within the business, right? Even I had an analyst. He he has a bachelor's in statistics. He worked with me as a supply chain analyst. Didn't like it. Moved to finance. You can, you can do finance as well as PM, you do whatever, right? So, so this goes the second is give you a growing opportunity. I mean, uh, who's the which is the biggest company right now in the world? Apple, who's the CEO of Apple? Tim Cook, who is this guy? He's a supply chain guy, so you can become a CEO as well. Historically, you either have to be a sales guy or you have to be not, I should not use the word guy, salesperson, you know, salesman and woman, or financial men and women to become the CEO because that's like the, the almost the criteria or MBA. You, know, you don't have to do now. You really don't have to, right? So you can be an engineer or supply, you can become a CEO. Another thing is, I have traveled about 38 countries. And I can tell you this, out of 38, 30 are company funded. I go to a lot of places, you know, and, and thanks to supply chain, I go and see suppliers, I'll see customers. Yeah, that's the other reason. 
The third thing, supply or the last second last would be supply chain is never boring. There's always a separate problem every day and quite funny ones, right? So one day, quick story, I, I turned up to as a, uh, as a supply chain manager and people said, oh, we need you on down in the warehouse. That's like, what's the emergency? He said, there's a guy who come on drunk and he's on the forklift truck driving and he's just asking you. I was like, what he's asking? He was just drunk and he's driving. He just was asking. So I just want to go down and take him out of his forklift truck, right? So I mean, can you imagine that would be a problem in your workplace? But you know, you, you face things like that. And 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 I think I think lastly, supply chain is great fun. It's great fun. You can learn new things. It's not boring. So I can I can sell supply chain to a schemo. Yeah. We're here playing you a clip of an interview I did last year with Dr. Mudasir Ahmed talking about the future of supply chain management. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 121. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here playing you a clip with Dr. Mudasir Ahmed chatting with me about the future of supply chain management. Let's jump back into the conversation. I can't think of another discipline other than maybe IT that is such yeah. an integrated discipline where you have to, you can learn, you have the opportunity to specialize in procurement or logistics or certain parts of supply chain management, warehouse management, whatever it is. But you, have, you also have to understand the whole big picture of how it all ties together. And I think that's something that's super cool about supply chain management. And the other thing too that I'd add is that to what you said is that um, I always look, whenever I think about you know giving advice to people for their careers, one thing I always think about is where is their disruption? You know, Where is their massive amounts of changes happening? Because that's where the opportunity is. And so right now, they're being disrupted. And these supply chain disruptions, they're not going to get fixed no matter what politicians do or no matter what we do. It's not going to get fixed in the next few months or probably even the next few years. It's it's going to have a ripple effect that, you know, it's going to affect organizations for years to come. So I think it's a it's a definitely a, a up and come or it's a not up and coming. It's a very well established discipline, but I think there's going to be high demand for it for years to come. Agree. And just to add to all the points both of us said is so what happened to FinTech in the last 20 years? FinTech has gone phenomenally, right? And what happened to digital marketing? So if you are a marketing person right now, you will not be the same marketing person 10 years ago, right? Because the marketing was different 10 years ago. Same with finance. But if you think you're a supply chain person right now, you won't feel up, you, you could do a job 10 years ago because there's not enough disruption between the decades. But what happened is with the with the disruption of, of pandemic, the importance of supply chain has grown massively. And there's a huge amount of money has been put into startups. There's a lot of big startups are coming in. There's $87 billion has been put into supply chain startups. All those supply, supply chain startups are bringing disruption. 
Some of them will survive, some of them will, will die. But even the ones who will survive will create more job opportunities, will create different job opportunities, right? Which is, mm -hmm. does not even exist right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you also look at sub disciplines or areas of uh, specialization within supply chain, you have, you know, data science, you were talking about visibility and the, the ability to make use of data. If you have an interest in supply chain and technology, data science might be an area where you could sort of carve out a niche for yourself. Um, or if you're a business process type of person, you know, helping re-engineer business processes. If you're a change management person, helping manage supply chains through their change and the, the, the human component of it. So, and then obviously on the technology side, you have, you know, applications that are meant to improve supply chain. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways you can approach it. And then of course you, you have the internal functions like procurement or logistics or warehouse management, where you could specialize in doing the internal functions of a supply chain too. So there's just a massive amount of opportunity and it's a global thing too, like you said earlier. So very, very good stuff. Um, if, if I were new to, to supply chain management, or if I'm not in supply chain management and I'm either just coming out of college or maybe I'm mid career and I want to make a change, I'm interested in, in getting into supply chain management. Um, what are some of the things that I could do to break into the supply chain discipline? What are, what, what would you recommend to someone who wants to make a pivot or a change into supply chain management? First of all, visit, visit SCM Dujo. That's what, this is exactly what we do, right? We are here to exactly help you with this transaction. You will find a huge amount of content, knowledge, guides, best practices, videos, mostly free actually, to, to, to get yourself ready. I mean, there's a blog of uh, top three jobs of a supply chain graduate or, you know, what to do, how to find a job for a graduate. And we got plenty of content there to do it, right? So, so, so the first thing you do is that. Second thing you got to do is, is to uh, start, one of the dilemma people will have is, I have no experience, where to start? And my solution is this, as long as you've got some level of degree and you can do some level of analysis, right? And that's a great place to start, right? Is to inventory analyst, planning analyst, business analyst, right? You go there, you don't have to know the business or anything, you just need to know how to use, uh, uh, you know, any tools like Power BI or, you know, Google Data, Google Data Studio, or even Excel, you should be good in Excel, right? So you start from there, and then after 12 to 18 months, as soon as you understand the business and business model and the product, then you can start moving into more into planning or procurement or category, warehouse, wherever you want to move, right? So, so that would be, I think, the ideal start, I would say. But the, the thing is, I wouldn't even do a lot of expensive courses. I wouldn't say, I mean, as I said, we are trying to make, we have a very subscription-based model. I mean, you pay me $49 and you can have access to all the courses and things like that. So it's not a huge, you can Google anything, you can find it as well. So a huge amount of information is available. Just use the information, find a time for learning. Because what generally I've seen it, that when you graduate, you somehow think, okay, I've done everything. Now I'm gonna focus on practicality. It doesn't mean you stop learning. I would say making learning is a part of your half an hour, one hour daily regimen. Uh, I do it every day. I still do it after 20 years from graduating. So make sure you continue to learn. Yeah, yeah, it's great advice I, for any discipline that, that you might be in. Um, yeah. What about if I'm already in supply chain management, perhaps I'm already in one of those roles you just described and right. I'm just looking for their my career or advance. What would you mm -hmm. recommend anything different for those types of people? No, not really. I think the only thing I would say to that, in addition to the, the SMDUJO people, because if you go to our tools and self-assessment, we have created best practices. It may not make any sense to any graduate or young people who doesn't do very well. 
but it will make huge amount of sense to anybody who has worked in supply chain and, and they have existing problems and they want to looking for best practice to solve it. And that is our aim solely to provide those best practices to, to help to help them do it. If you don't find any, if you're looking for something, ping me, but this is our core competency. We create best practices. We try to do proper research. We have a team behind it to make it available for people. For example, right now, I'm creating a, a, a very comprehensive dashboard for warehousing and logistics, right? So uh, the procurement one is pretty famous. The, the KPA supply chain one was very famous. I'm creating a full, for example, dashboard for SNOP. Okay, you can run SNOP in super expensive software, but you don't want to buy it unless you have a SNOP software. So I'm creating a dashboard to help two people run SNOP on Excel. And once you have a process, then you go and buy a fancy software, no problem. Right, right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good good advice. Um, here's a here's a comment that I, I want to get your your thoughts on here. Um, and this is from Richard on LinkedIn. He says it's no longer a supply chain; it's a supply marketplace, which is a very different risk model. What what are your thoughts on that? Is that something heard or that you agree or disagree with? This is a very advanced concept, right? And I think is a very very interesting. It's more a comment rather than a question, right? Right. So first of all, I say I agree, right? And I agree with my recent learning of a conference I attended. There's a, uh, what's her name? Dr. Eloise. She is writing a book, not coming out. And she's trying to, she's talking about uh, the risk part in terms of supply chain, how the rules of war has been changed, right? So for example, uh, I think she has a very conspiracy like theory. She's saying, if, if I'm your, uh, if I want to damage you, are the suppliers I work with, I know you are 400 suppliers, your supply chain risk assessment is so big that I could become your supplier, for example, and I could really damage your credibility and you won't even know about it. Mm. Right? And, right? And then she gives some military examples how, I don't, I don't want to go into the book and what she gave examples for, that how America and few other people are really, I, I think some, some, some military examples there, it was a deliberate effort by a country to become a supplier for the army to make sure they damage their supply chains and not to make the armors. I don't know how she get hold of this information, but right. there's two, three things she mentioned, which is pretty, pretty realistic if you think about it. Hmm. Interesting. So, so what exactly is, um, maybe I'll turn that, that comment into a question, but what, what exactly is a, supply marketplace and how is that different from a traditional supply chain how would you describe that or simplify that for the audience yeah i would i would say from the let's let's do this so historically the global supply chain was a success story still is if you think about it right apple apple is very successful because the way they designed the supply chain amazon is and or was right so market i would say what, what is the marketplace the marketplace is there's more than one player Right, you're competing for same business. So when I say I'm at Sim Dujo, it's a marketplace. What I mean by that is I have more than ten, you know, experts right now. You can pick one, right? You need to evaluate, and you have to pick one, and you have to more deal on a on a case to case basis and a project to project project basis, right? So this model is pretty much pretty reverse to the whole concept of strategic SRM, you know, supply relationship management. If you pick any book of ISM or 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 or, or or SIPs, they keep talking about strategy partnership, strategy supplier, strategy collaboration, strategy this, strategy that. Then you have to be very, so, but marketplace model is actually on the other scale, right? 
So if you mm-hmm. see the other scale and it's disruptive and it's successful and it's proven, right, which it is, then why it will not be proven in supply chain? It comes with the risk, but it just needs a, a more robust platform to manage. And that's what we aim to do. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, I can see that being a, tr- a trend in the future or a way that that further transforms or further disrupts uh, traditional yeah. supply chain. Yeah. Let, let, let me give you an example. So right now, okay, you have, we talked about analysts, right? Analyst is data science, very good, important skills, right? Uh, or supply chain uh, network design, right? For example, everybody wants to do supply chain. You have to look into supply chain and see you have the right warehouses into the right places with the right workflow center of gravity. But why would you want that skill in-house? I, I don't think you need that in, in, skill in-house because you don't do this kind of analysis every month or every week, right? They are right. very specialized set of skills, right? So, I mean, you are an expert in ERP implementation and you know the cleanup of the ERP data is specialized skills. It's a specialized skills. No, you can't, you can't, you can't have it in-house. So my right. point is those kind of specialized skill set is a marketplace jobs where uh, boutique consultancies or boutique experts are available. You can go and get them and then hire them to do whatever they want to do. With the same thought process, you can apply to material purchasing or or, or technology purchasing, right? So with the same can be applied, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, interesting. So. I guess just to bring this all full circle and and sort of bring the full, you know, the whole discussion around supply chain trends and supply chain careers, um, just to close the loop and sort of summarize everything we've talked about, what closing advice would you leave for uh, supply chain practitioners and others that are affected by supply chains? You know, what what advice would you give them as they look to the future of their careers as well as the supply chain in general? Cool, cool, cool. Can I... Can I share my screen? Maybe not, right? So, okay. Let me just give me one minute. If you can uh, give me one. Can I just take one minute or 30 sure. seconds? Yeah, yeah, please do. Right. So I'm going to show you something which will answer the question more appropriately than, than me waffling about. Uh, this picture gone. Is this possible I can share a screen here? Possible? No? Um, you should see a um, share screen button in the bottom uh, right of your below where you right. and I are listening. Cool. Right. Okay. So I'm sharing my screen. Can you see? Oh, I have to accept it here. One second. There we go. Yep. Right. We see it now. Can you see now. Okay. So this is my theory, which I'll be trying to push it through. So, so if you're in a supply chain, you have been in a supply chain, that means you are, have some level of supply chain competencies, right? So we, we call it, I call it hygiene factor. You have it anyway. If you don't have it, you got to learn it, right? Otherwise you're not in supply chain. Right. Then the second factor is your people skills, which I mentioned in terms of your communication skills, presentation skills, negotiation, managing up and down. It also involves your social media skills somehow. So if you go to SM Dujo right now, we have a course on how to improve your LinkedIn profile, actually. Because right now, if you're applying for a job, people actually Google you first and call you for interview later, in fact. And when they Google it, they're expecting you to have your profile on LinkedIn, right? I actually, right. in the last few years, never call for anybody for an interview unless you're in LinkedIn. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. biased, maybe I'm not, but that's what I do, right? right? So having a very nice LinkedIn profile, which is better than your CV, is there, but we have a course for that. The third part, I would say, is the technological know-how, all the emerging technologies, right? Understanding what's happening in the, in the, in the, in the, in the technological space, if I come back to my, my picture again. So everybody using these words, words of IoT or 
basically they're using blockchain, uh, uh, 3D printing, blah, 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 right? But you need to know which application is actually is used where, mm. right? You need to know that which part of the, of the technology fits into which part of the supply chain. So IoT is more connected devices, give you more visibility, more data. If you're thinking about the security transparency blockchain, if you're talking about collaborative supply planning, uh, you need to know about cloud a bit more. If you need, you're thinking about predictive and prescriptive analysis, you need to know data science. The point is, is understanding the technology and which and where it is used in supply chain. And that's the final answer. There's a book I was talking to Eric, I think before our talk, right? So I'm writing a right. book on supply chain generalization for supply chain managers. Um, 80% done. Hopefully it will be out this, this year. Uh, and and the, the whole purpose of that book is to give this lessons or not lesson message to people that understand the technology and try to link with the right part of right portion or right segment of the supply chain. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That's good. Good advice. Yeah. So just to summarize, summarize this. So as a supply chain competencies right now in itself, I think is one third of your skill set, maybe mm. 40%. You got to improve your people skills right to be growing your job because okay if i'm not a better leader if i'm not know how to lead people if i don't know how to manage projects right i'm never going to become a supply chain leader or manager it's just not going to happen i i, I just be stay what i do so you got to become those kind of all things but then if you really want to become grow further and improve your supply chain you got to understand technology so you need all these three things and the dilemma i feel in the current curriculum is uh, pick any they're not really focusing on the two part. They're not focusing on the people part as much and they're not focusing on the technology part as much. They're still going about supply chain competencies, which I think they have doing a great job, but it's old school right now. We should move on. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that's a good visual, those, you know, the discussion of those three areas, those three competencies, because so many people want to focus on one and, and you can have a primary area that you're strongest in, of course, but the more you can focus on developing all three of those areas, I think uh, you're just going to be at higher demand and you're going to be a more rare find uh, within the, the industry. Yeah. There's a question from Kohan I see. It's an interesting question. I can answer quickly. What is the best visibility solution in the market for a multi-factory, multi-country, multi-year? There's a, there's a company called Project 44. Google that. Project 44. Project 44, yeah. Okay. Okay, that's good. They work okay. right now $2.1.7 billion is a startup. Okay, it's great. Great question and great advice. Now I'm curious. I'm going to have to go Google that as soon as we're done here. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Thank you, Dr. Ahmed. Great conversation. We love uh, having that conversation. Always a good, fun topic and a relevant topic in supply chain management. So appreciate having you on the show. So lots of stuff we covered here today. We're out of time, but I want to thank you all for joining. Uh, appreciate all the great engagement and questions. Again, be sure to check us out every Wednesday with new episodes. So wherever you're listening or watching right now, you'll find us again next Wednesday. So be sure to check us out there. I uh, want to thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on Transformation Ground Control.